welcome to OK Video, coming to you from Calgary, Alberta, where it's weird to think pineapple on pizza is remotely weird. I'm Nathan Rohr, former EB Games associate, where I'm pretty sure we sold Blu-rays briefly, and I'm joined as always by Ryan McCullough. Hey there, Ryan here. Um, you're right, it is. it was such a popular staple of my childhood, like Hawaiian pizza, that like, it was like, a, there was a time where like, you go to a birthday party and there was like zero cheese or pepperoni pizzas. It was almost like we're only getting Hawaiian for this party. And I was so <laughs> grumpy because when I was a kid, I hated Hawaiian. I was like, why is this sweet nonsense on my salty, delicious pizza? Sweet and salt. That's like a friend I know. As an combo. adult, Nathan, as an adult, yeah. I love Hawaiian pizza. But as a kid, I was like... They were too complex. It, it's ideas. weird that there was no other choices there. there. You should like. I feel it would be a staple of every birthday party. It's one of the three pizzas, but the other two are like you said, cheese and pepperoni. Like that party was weird. <laughs> That's what <laughs> I mean, not like, catering to. But I remember going to one like party that. and it was because the main person loved Hawaiian pizza. They only ordered Hawaiian pizza, and I was so <laughs> bummed because I was sitting there being like, "Because here's the thing: when you take off the Hawaiian pieces off of Hawaiian pizza, it still has like that." Like that acidity. Oh no! Sweetness. Like the sugar has melted into the cheese. Like it's exactly. part of what's happened. Yeah. That's yeah. Okay. So you just like there's no coming back. I'm like, oh, that pizza's ruined now. So it, anyways, it's, it's Hawaiian forever. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Did you know? Like, what's crazy is like it's Hawaiian pizza, but like it's a Canadian invented thing. I know. That's why it's so normalized here. Is like we thought this was a great idea, sort of like ginger beef or whatever. Which yeah, is not well, Chinese. ginger beef is very localized invention. Like, mm-hmm. it's, like, put down to, like, there's a place in Lethbridge and a place in Grand Prairie that claim to have invented it. But it is, for sure, invented in Alberta. And then it's spread yeah. from there. I love ginger beef. I'm like, yeah, it's good. It's my top top three choice when I go to Chinese food. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, I'm Ryan. And as always, watching movies with my friend Nathan. Uh, this week, we are continuing our examination of movies that Roger Ebert thought were good in spite of the Hoyt and Toit around him every day in the movie circles of the 90s. Uh, John Carpenter's Escape from L.A., which is what it says on the screen when you watch the movie, so that's the name. Uh, it was a box office disappointment upon release in August 96. It stacked up $25.5 million against a $50 million budget. I don't know that it even received an international release because this was the only box office take like reported at all. <laughs> so insignificant release elsewhere if, if that did happen. Uh, Ebert takes two pot shots at Independence Day in his 3.5 out of 4 review, saying that this is the kind of movie that could have been if it hadn't played it safe. Uh, August 9th, 2020, August 9th, 1996. Jeez, I like re time here. Uh, is when this came out. And yeah, it was written by John Carpenter, Deborah Hill, and Kurt Russell's only screenwriting credit, like ever. Yeah. So, but this yeah. is a movie that he wanted to get made for a very long time. But anyways, I got at I got least the sum- eleven years. Yeah. But yeah. you got the summary. Eleven. So. That's a long time in a, in a life. Eleven. Oh yeah. Years. Yeah. Eighty five on. They were at least thinking about it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. The summary, and this is in Roger's words, and he agrees with you. It is called John Carpenter's Escape from L.A. Is a go for broke action extravaganza that satirizes the genre at the same time it exploits it exploiting it it's a dark vision of a post-apocalyptic los angeles leveled by a massive earthquake cut off from the mainland by a flooded san fernando valley and converted into a prison camp for the nation's undesirables 
This production unites, uh, reunites Carpenter with actor Kurt Russell and producer Deborah Hill, who also made his Escape from New York in 1981. They wrote the script together, reportedly starting right after the 1994 earthquake, and it combines adventure elements with a bizarre gallery of characters and pot shots at satirical targets such as plastic surgery, theme parks, agents, and the Imperial Presidency. Uh, yeah. I love that Roger loves this movie. I mean, this one I was a little, like, skeptical about including because it didn't feel like too many critics were against it. But reading their blurbs and things, it's pretty tepid. Like, even positive reviews are, like, two out of five or, or like, yeah, two out like, of four like the or something. Two, two and a half out of four or two out of four. 5.5 or something. Like, yeah. it's, like, barely. It's, like, eh, it's okay. It's, yeah. like, a remake or whatever. Like, there's fair, a certain level of dismissiveness, you know? And there, this is, uh, I mean, it, yes, it's Ebert Island, and we often measured against critics but we also measured against like like there's a little bit of box office stuff too in there this movie was yeah. a huge bomb like massive massive losing for john half carpenter. half of its budget gone yeah, he, kind of like, thing this yeah. this like set john carpenter's career back like he had mm -hmm. to go and make different types of movies for a different studio because of this movie like yeah it's, it's and just... and like sort of comparing it to our anaconda discussion like the the people's read on this movie is also pretty negative. Like uh, Rotten Tomatoes audience score is even worse. It's at 39% uh, versus like 52 or 53 or whatever it is for critics. Yep. And then IMDb is like 5.7, which is oh. kind of 0.5 below like my mental mark of like, oh, humans think this is okay, which is 6.2. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, people give this about a 2.5 in general. Like this is like, no, it's more of like a two for people, which is yep. kind of sad. So, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I remember this movie coming out as a kid and I was like hyped for it. Like, I remember the, seeing the trailers, watching the commercials, being hyped for like, I didn't, I've never seen, I never saw Escape from New York. I didn't know Escape from New York existed. I thought this was like a one off movie. I didn't know who John Carpenter was as a director. I was mm -hmm. just like, I saw Kurt Russell. He had an eye patch and he was like, just like muttering cool phrases. And I was like, I'm on board for this movie. And like, it looked yeah. like, a, a, like it looked like just this silly fun film. And I remember we rented it. My, my dad did not like it, which made me bummed, but I loved it. Like I was like, this is a fun movie. And mm -hmm. as an adult, like I just watched it last night with my wife. She loves escape from New York. Never saw this one. And she was like laughing and having a good time too. So like, okay. It's just a fun uh time. I probably wasn't introduced to this like at the at that time. Like I, I remember seeing that kind of poster image with him in the eye patch and like the orange fire or whatever's happening there. Yeah. Uh around. But I didn't see the movie until probably after I had played the Metal Gear Solid game. <laughs> That's what I was which, uh, I was yeah. wondering because like, okay, so I I'm wrong. Like I was watching the movie and I was like, I'm pretty sure Full Metal, like Metal Gear Solid, they base Snake upon Snake Plissken, right? Yeah, yeah. But in, very su superficially, like it's just his eye patch and his gravelly voice. Uh, I mean, I'll I'll elaborate on like the kind of one man mission premise. Like you're going in like in a submarine to this crazy scenario. That's sort of keeping with how Snake enters the first but, two games. But you know? in Snake, in the first two games, he's a lot more of a sleuth, sneaky type of person, right? It's a stealth game. Yeah, yeah whereas yeah. like this is not <laughs> stealth. Like he is a very like this movie literally opens with him just like charging through the crowd and like there's the bad guy. I'm jumping on a motorcycle. I'm going straight okay. for him. 
this movie does open with him hiding in a bush for like a couple seconds, but then he's immediately spotted by Peter Fonda's character pipeline, and like that's over. <laughs> like yes. the stealth is over. There's a moment where like a guy's ready to throw a knife at him, and he just turns around and shoots him <laughs> yeah. with his machine gun in the middle of the street. Like he is not. He has no time for stealth. He's no, got, he has like, no a time. Like there's a, there's another scene where he is hiding in a bush and does get captured outside of the plastic surgery uh, uh, Hollywood Boulevard place. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it, this movie is not like he is. I, I should have sat down and watched no the first one. I should have yeah, watched yeah. the first one again. I do really like the first one. I mean, it's just a campy, fun movie. You got Donald Pleasance as the bad guy. You got Lee Van Cleef as like the the voice on the radio, like Stacy Keach type character in this movie. I think Isaac Hayes is in it, right? Yeah, Isaac Hayes is in this one too. Oh, was he? Yeah, he's got a little cameo. Oh, okay. We'll get into we'll it. Talk about him. Yeah. Um. Anyways, and it's just like. It's just like, but this movie, just something about this one, the level of campiness, how much fun it is always making sure you have. I remember like Escape from New York, like it didn't quite meet its ambitions because they couldn't with budget reasons. Mm-hmm. This movie was like, and like, okay, Roger, he's a little too kind to the special effects in this movie, but I think the bad special effects only like amplify my fun I'm having in this movie. I think they've aged in a really fun way where it's like they're they're bad for 1996 even like there's some like admission of that in the trivia of just like the studio that they hired for this hadn't done digital effects very much at all. (laughs) So they were kind of figuring it out in this movie and minutes into this movie. There's like kind of the prologue stuff with like 1998. Like we were coming up on the millennium and we knew there was going to be like a world ending earthquake or whatever. Yep. And then like there's this shot of this glass building and it oh. kind of crumples it's like, I and think like it's capital, digital windows fall I off I think of it's it. Capital One Records. Like it's the Capital Records building that they're trying mm-hmm. to exemplify, but it is. It yeah. just looks so weird. And it's like, well, all right. Like, but, I don't know when this is because that's obviously digital, but it looks bad. Is this like 93, 91? It's, like, yeah, no, it's, no. It's 96. 1996, uh, like right in the middle of the decade. The yeah. My favorite, though, is like him in the pod boat thing. Okay, I had to watch this scene again because I like we got a new TV and we did not have like HDR lighting range or something on for like the first half hour. And for like first half hour, any scene like that, I was just like, wow, I can't believe this is so dark. <laughs> like, it's like you can barely get the impression that anything happened. I guess it's hiding the bad CG or whatever. And then nope. I like, oh, we, Brittany figured out like some settings or whatever. And I looked at it again and it's like, oh no, you're just seeing a cartoon submarine. Yeah. <laughs> like, it is and not. Even like a shark. Like there's that really blink if you miss it. There's a shark that comes out of nowhere and tries to bite the submarine. I'm having a Potentially blast. a Jaws robot because it's right before the Universal Studios logo. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah, yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. No, but okay. I guess just briefly back to Metal Gear. Like, I feel that that was where my head was at with this was like watching it. It's kind of just like a video gamey type sequel in my head. Like, that's why I'm not angrily comparing it to New York because it's like repeating the scenario in a lot of ways. Like, no, it's a video game. Like, you want it to be the same. And it's going to be bigger and crazier because that's how we do in yeah. this realm kind of, you know? In real life, though, like, John Carpenter, like, he openly says that he repeated the scenario because he didn't feel like he ever really quite got New York right. Okay. Like, he, this is his preferred of the two. 
He thinks mm-hmm. that Escape from L.A. is better than Escape from New York. And I think it's mainly and, because there's way more satire in this movie than there is in New York. I, I don't remember what New York would have been satirizing. Like, this this has more, like, obvious stuff of just, like, oh, you know, the vanity of Hollywood people and, like, plastic surgery or, mm-hmm. like, amusement parks and all this kind of stuff. Like, it, like I've been to L.A., and been to Anaheim slash Disneyland or the Magic Kingdom, or Magic whatever Kingdom. they call it in this. Yeah, because uh, they went out of business when they when they opened that thing in Paris. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, like it's not subtle. Like they're they're like it's Disneyland, it's Main Street USA, but we can't say it because it's a Paramount. Movie there's there's the Matterhorn right there in front of us. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like it, it's more familiar territory for me or something. So I, I was having like just more fun with the, the but setting. It, but it didn't have like New York doesn't have any of that stuff. And even New York's president, who is like kind of not a he's a corruptible mean guy. He doesn't yeah. have that religious aspect. Like this movie was didn't shy away <laughs> from him being like this neoconservative religion mixed in with like morality stuff. Like he was just yeah. like an evil dude who didn't care about things. Like, like the first time we see Cliff Robertson's character, like he's on TV ranting and raving about like the fall of like America or something. I was yeah. like, oh, a crazy like televangelist preacher. And then like seconds later, it's like, and he became the president for life and is yeah. ruling America. It's like, oh, okay. And <laughs> yeah. you know what's crazy watching this movie today? It's like there's a lot of Trump's isms that mm-hmm. he that is in this movie decades before Trump isms became a thing. Yeah, 20 years before he became president. Yeah. Like so. this he was like this whole idea of like religion being so tightly woven into political identity and not mm-hmm. just that like a version of religion that is like neo fascist right-wing ideology twisting of the original version of this religion. This movie just like fully gets into that completely. Like mm-hmm. throw anyone under the bus if they're against them in any way. So like so okay. This movie opens with, uh, like Nathan says, there's a big earthquake. Uh, L.A. has fallen into the ocean. And the president is like, like just declared all these people undesirables from, from what is it, homosexuals to something to atheists. Like I, sex workers are in there and atheists also. Yeah, atheists uh, also. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, I guess I have to be banished if, if I lived in America. I don't <laughs> if you lived know in America. I mean, it didn't look suits. like Canada had much to do in this world that we live in, but... Um, yeah. Anyways, and then so... live on Vancouver Island or something. <laughs> the movie really opens with Snake being brought into this, like, prison compound and very much like the last movie in the first movie, he gets given a proposition of, like, hey... My daughter, the president's like, my daughter stole this weapon that is essentially a worldwide EMP, uh, and I need you to go get it back before bad things happen. And unlike the first movie, he's just like, he believes the president in the first movie that he'll get his pardon. In this one, he's smarter, and he's like, mm-hmm. no, last time I got screwed over. Like, this is, and they're like, yeah, but we also gave you this, like, sickness that in eight hours, you're going like to be dead. Like the Plutonic 7 yeah. designer virus. Yeah. Yeah. Plutoxic seven. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so he has to take this job and there's a timeline. Like there's a very concrete timeline for Plitzkin. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's got to, like, it, it's like that Ghostland movie we went and saw last year. Yeah. Like, uh, it's just, you got a timer on your wrist or whatever. Uh, and the virus is escalating, I guess, over the course of, like, you're going to start getting a fever and just feeling crappy and whatever as, as this goes on. So you yeah. better hurry. 
Well, uh, and he's like, and they, they even make a point to say, like, and your skills are going to become depleted. You're not going to be as good as you go yeah. along. And that's, it's good. Like, because the movie does a really good job of keeping that lineage good. Because, like, he does start, get, he get, looks, starts looking he gets sweaty. really sweaty. Yeah. He does, like, start coughing more. He hurts himself, too. Like, this movie really puts Snake through the, like, the ringer. Like, mm. like, gives him a hard time. So anyways, they put him in this pod and he gets rocketed through the ocean and they're like telling him like he's like cranking up faster, faster, faster. Like, take it easy, snake. You got to slow it down or you got to make the trip back. And he's like, I'm the one dying. And it's just this nonsense, chaotic shots of this like <laughs> bad CGI pod going through. Like drifting what looks underwater like, and like going past road signs. Yeah, like stuff. it's because it's essentially there. He's driving essentially on the highways undersea. Hitting, mm-hmm. getting coming close to signs, and there's a shark. I don't, I don't, man. Like it's, yeah. Crashes on the island of L.A. and Peter Fonda is there, and I uh, doesn't quite like. He's like, don't I know who you are? And then he kind of runs away. And it's like I just realized who you were. Well, like, what are you doing here, Snake? I heard you died in Cleveland or whatever. And it's like one of the first like Cleveland drops in this movie. Yeah, there's a lot. I of felt Cleveland got jokes. cumulatively more funny as it kept coming up because it became like, more and more intrinsic to the plot. Yeah, it's just like, whoa! I lost touch with him after Cleveland, and <laughs> like, oh hey, this character Carjack from Cleveland. And it's like yeah. it made me like, did I miss like a graphic novel? What is this? And then they made one later, yeah. I guess. That was about the Cleveland adventure. So I'm curious about that. I, the way yeah. I see the script happening of like they have like the hard beats worked out and then like just them like being like insert quippy line that Snake says here. And then like it would be like Kurt Russell trying out a different a few different things and like because like this isn't really a script that like needs a lot of hashing out beforehand. I mean, it's like a series of, like, he meets weird supporting characters, then they just go to a mission objective or whatever. It's very video game to me. Like, he literally has, like, you are 40 meters from the objective, like, Call of Duty or something, and then well, he walks and into a room, and then it's like, oh, that guy's dead. His transponder is just still on. And what's know? kind of great about this is, like, John Carpenter in real life is a huge video game guy. Like He is, yeah. He actually and so, like, I could totally see three. him being on board with how video games were going in the nineties and like, let's make a movie. Like this is a movie of movie structure. We can, cause this movie, you're right. Like it, there is this big structure to it, but mostly this movie is just a bunch of plot happening where he just runs into new people, goes on like little, he gets sidetracked on a mini mission and then goes back on the main plot. And they just fill 90 minutes that way. Like snake doesn't right. develop as a character in this movie. Like he doesn't have like a central core thing that happens to him that where he becomes like a better person at the end of the day no he's kind of already like a legendary hero or anti-hero or whatever yeah and he just lives up to that rep i guess in la (laughs) which he does because uh honestly this movie has one of my favorite all-time movie sequences okay i'm Uh, assuming like there's one sequence that I remembered clearly from the first time I watched it, which was many years ago at this point, and I'm assuming it's the one. It's the uh, basketball. Basketball, yeah. <laughs> because not only is it like just the somebody sat down and said, this will be great for a big screen adaptation. Like somebody was like, what could we do? Well, let's create this like basketball game where you have 10 seconds to go the full length of the court and take a shot. And then when you started filming it, you realize 10 seconds is a long time. So what we're going to do is we're going to have people shout the timeout in real time, mm-hmm. but Snake runs in slow motion for dramatic effect. 
And he's sick, so it's it's hurting his, his stamina. Oh no, hundred percent. But it is but, yeah. That that is how they get through the sequence. He has to so he has to get five shots in, sequential shots in a row. Yeah. But he is literally they're saying one, two, three, while he's literally running slow motion. Like they have the camera slow motion him running. Him dribbling across it the is, court to get close enough to the other basket. Yeah. But it's kind of like his shots have to get longer and longer. Like he does like a, a layup at the outset, but then he can only get to like, you know, 15 feet from the basket the second time. And then it's like a three pointer the third time. And then, and then he half has to shots. do a long half court shot and has to do the full court like throw. And it's so perfectly like framed. So it's like, no, it's not an effect. It's not dropping in off like no, no, no. The, the, the ball the is in frame the entire time. In frame the entire throw. Yeah, it's great. And it's uh, like one the, of those things the where slow mo looked kind of weird to me. Like it was a little framey. You know, yes. It's like they well, slowed it, it down. Well, it gets us back in the after. day when when slow mo was just like we slowed down the images, so it is like the frames are just going six frames. Like per we minute. shot at the same frame rate we always would, but then we slowed it as opposed to yes. like we shot in high like rapid sixty or something. And I don't think that it. that wasn't how they used to do slow mo. So like slow mo yeah. was like something that like Michael Bay when he showed up and did slow mo stuff like that was revolutionary. Like I, I feel like uh, if uh, John Woo is doing this over yeah, in Hong Kong right he now, he was doing it in Hong yeah. Kong, but like Michael Bay over here, but like it yeah. was like. Uh, so yeah, slow mo used to mean like yeah, we shoot at twenty four frames per second, and then it's now six frames per second. So you get to see like that j- <laughs> that jaggedy run. Um, but it works, and the sound yeah, it's, it's such it's a like silly chain. Oh, it's like, so mesh. silly and fun. Like and that that yeah, like he's making those shots, oh. and he does that. I love court. how they set up the the game too, because like a guy is playing it and like fails. And then it's just like shot clock, and then eight guys start shooting this dude, but they're surrounding him. It's like they would be killing each other. Like I that know. guy is meat isn't going to stop all those bullets. It makes me so happy that like John Carpenter just doesn't care about some of these. Doesn't things. care about that, and no. it makes it zanier. Like yeah. I wouldn't expect that. But here's the thing: like but... that's what's like. I think honestly, like I think this movie came out in the wrong era of time, right? Like this is, this is a movie that I think would have done really well in the eighties, but not in the nineties. I mean, we, we kind of had our ghosts of, of Mars discussion where like that felt like a movie out of its time frame. also. Yeah. Like this is closer to the right time. Cause it's five years earlier, but it's still sort of lost in like what was contemporary at the time, which Ebert highlights is independence day. It's yes. kind of like the big burly special effects thing. Which at the it was time. the big it was the big movie of that year. And like, okay. I know you're you you like uh, I generally like Day. it. Like yeah. it it works for me, yeah. And so and it like I'm okay with it. Like it's not even close to being my favorite Will Smith movie. Not even close mm-hmm. to my favorite Will Smith nineties film either. Um not even the best with aliens in it. Like let's <laughs> go further. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't even say it's like um okay. All right, I'm gonna say this right now, and it's gonna be well, like it's, it's one of those like hot takes, hot takes that wow. people would be like roll their eyes at Ryan's situation. Okay, I like Wild Wild West more than Independence Day. Oh, than Independence Day. If you said Men in Black, then I just hang up the call. No, no, but, no, no. Okay. no. <laughs> Men in Black is my favorite. Is my favorite Will Smith movie. Period. It's also like it's it's my yeah it's my favorite of all that stuff like I always put Men in Black higher than Independence Day is like that's my first like big Will Smith movie I loved but because no. I feel at some point that would just get into like steampunk versus sci-fi or something and I'm like staunchly sci-fi 
on that. Yeah, but I'm not even like but, it's not yeah. even a, I don't even care. I don't like steampunk. For me, it's just yeah. like that zany, silly movie that should never have happened. Yeah, but absolutely it's very did happen. Silly. And it's, it's like everyone's having a good time. One plus one Kenneth equal, does Branagh equal two. Kenneth Branagh is camping beyond oh, anything you'd even imagine. Even Will Smith and Kevin Klein are camping. Like everyone's camping. I don't know what people thought like they were going to get. And I think in their minds, they were like, we're going to get a different version of Men in Black. And it's like, no. It sort of positioned itself that way, though. Like, we're going to have this duo fighting crazy things. But it's going to be totally the West. I totally agree, but I think that's a studio decision. I watched yeah. that movie, and I'm like, this isn't Men in Black again. This is, like, this is way more campier than Men in Black is. It, it, to be mm-hmm. fair, even, like, the first Men in Black is probably the most serious Men in Black movie. The rest of them are yeah. become far more campier, which I I enjoy that in that universe. But the first movie is kind of like 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 K has like serious stuff to go through. Like he has like real no. He life got thinking. separated from his lifelong love and all this. Yeah, and he had, he had to put his partner down. He like yeah. Whereas that then the sequels come around and it's like all of that is nonsense and we don't care about that. We're just gonna have fun with aliens. Like yeah. Anyways, I still feel I, I'm, the I'm not I'm not here to talk about the sequels. I just. For me, like, in 1996, it's, like, Independence Day was a fun movie that is a way too self-serious sometimes. Like, mm-hmm. if it was – if the movie was just as campy as Bill Brian Pullman's uh, – Bill Pullman's, uh, like, speech on Independence Day, if that was, like, seen as not epic and, and just pure camp, I would have been more on board with that movie. But that movie has so much, like, self-serious character moments where characters like are reassessing their values and their lives and their goals and like i'm about to die like what do i really love my life and i'm like who cares about any of this it's like an alien invasion movie you got to blast the big sky like huge skyscraper size why am i stopping the, this main plot i care about to go hang out with the president the, the president's wife and vivica fox like i mm-hmm. don't care but it's like the toll that this would have on humanity. I know, and you know? I, that's the stuff. I'm just like, don't give me that stuff. I don't care about that <laughs> stuff at all. Well, hey, Mars Attacks is right here. If you I know. Watch I that. love Mars Attacks too. Like honestly, 1996 was like for me was a year of like Escape from LA and Mars Attacks. Like Nathan, I <laughs> I clipped newspaper articles about Mars Attacks. I loved the like design of those of the aliens in Mars Attacks. Like the posters, I was so jazzed. I convinced my dad to take me to the movie theaters. He did not want to see Mars Attacks, but I was like, Dad, we have to go see this movie. It's a once-in-a-lifetime event. Yeah. <laughs> and I had a blast. The Jack world, Nicholson. world was not yeah. with me on that one. I My 96 was a very different than every, every other people's 96s. So, mm-hmm. What else was the big one? Like Independence Day? What else came out in 96? What won the Oscar that year? Was it Braveheart? Is that 95? No, that's 95. Uh, it's English Patient Ugh. who won like eight or nine right. Oscars or something. It was just yeah. a really and Seinfeld year. was complaining about it. Yeah. yeah, it was a really boring year for the Oscars. I remember that. English Patient. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Willem uh, Dafoe was like addicted to heroin or something. I remember that. He's an English Patient? He's an English Patient. Yeah, I've never seen it. I refuse, I refuse to watch it just because it's like this movie is is like – is not a memorable or movie that needs to be studied or thought about beyond its year. I'm done. I mean, yeah, it felt like a whatever. I can't get into like it's like David Lean bootleg or something. Like, like are you like are you gonna go that. back and watch Marty? I kind of keep thinking about Marty because of our quiz show conversation. But that's what I mean. Like, <laughs> there's been lots of years where the Oscars got it wrong. Does that mean do we reward the Oscars by watching their best picture pick, or do we just not care and watch the one that actually is the best one? 
I might still like to enhance my appreciation of Ernest Borgnine because I recently encountered his work as okay, a yeah. made man. But in you're you're, you're thinking I, I I use Marty as a general example. I mean, like, yeah, do we yeah, just yeah. like like do we do we rewatch Crash and really appreciate Crash throughout history? Dude, I used to care more? way too much about one what one best picture. Like, I watched The Greatest Show on Earth, like that two and a half hour circus movie with Charlton Heston. Yeah. Like yeah, I, I've seen the lowest of the low, like best picture winners. <laughs> but that's what I mean. So. Like I just do we should we care or should we just like pick up the pieces that history says is actually the best movies and that's the ones we watch? Eh, yeah. <laughs> so Escape from L.A. the true winner in our hearts. <laughs> but this would be like uh, honestly, I'm sitting here be like, what else came out in '96? What else came out in '96? Like that is comp like. Like was the big? I think Shine came out. Maybe yeah, Shine that did, did Powder Rush. come out that year too? Is this the same oh, year? No, that was ninety five. That was ninety five. That was yeah. ninety five. Phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Ooh, was this Phenomenon's year? Dude, I think Ghosts of Mississippi. It was a best supporting it, actor. It nomination. was Phenomenon, the year of John, John Travolta's Phenomenon. Oh, I just remember his hands kind of coming at you yeah. in the poster, right? In the poster, he's pointing his finger because he can do something. I'm doing this at the camera here for Ryan's benefit, yeah. but it's not. No, no, it's just anyone. his finger. He's like pointing with his fingers like this, draped. Like his, but his fingers are draped. Oh, when did Michael come out? When he was an angel? Uh, I think that was the year after '97. Okay, okay. Um. Oh no, that's the same year, '96. That was a big Tom John Travolta year. '96 was a really bad year at the movie theaters. Wait, Mercury Rising, or is that '98? Uh, that was '98. That was '98. Okay. I remember that one. Okay. I think it might be the Jackal oh. year, though. You know what? Someone, like, their blurb for reviewing this movie was complaining about Chain Reaction, which I agree with. I don't think Chain Reaction is a good movie. It's like, hey, if you want to see a good action movie, watch Escape from L.A. Don't don't see Chain Reaction. <laughs> so, <laughs> Oh, man. Now, 96 was a really bad year at the, at the box office, turns out. Yeah. Like, honestly, one of the like, big I'm... surprises was Independence Day. Kind of overperformed. Yeah. That was a summer movie, though, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Big marketing push. ID four. Remember that? Yeah. I mean, I don't. I don't remember that honestly. Like, I it wasn't okay. like Independence Day wasn't it had like a holographic that, cover. If you tilted it, the honestly, White House would Independence explode. Day was not on my radar or something. Like, I, I saw it. In, I we rented it, type of thing. Okay. okay. Afterwards, I wasn't like uh, like jazz to see it. I I saw it. Oh, dude. No, like, we weren't theater-going people. Like, I was at Dunstan Checks In that year. <laughs> you know? Uh, so. I forgot about this. Primal Fear was a big movie this year. Primal... F- oh, the murder movie with uh, Richard Gere? Yeah. yeah. It's on my list of, like, I heard it's okay. Like, Edward Norton's debut Edward Norton, he won a Best Supporting Oscar for that film. He was nominated. He nominated, not that's right. But he... And it was his debut film role. But it was his... De- yeah, it's like... Wow, first time on film nominated for an Oscar. So yeah, yeah it was a big. Deal. I was actually looking into his career recently because I was baffled by like where did this guy come from? And I was like, no, he started in like he just started in movies. That's where he didn't have like a a beginnings. Like he was a just slow lead up where he was in like an episode of Friends or something. No, yeah, he was just started <laughs> like, starring in movies, and I'm just like, who? Of course, he was this in guy's Miami Vice. Ego. He was like a oh, drug dealer. Twister came out this summer. Twister's good. We gotta yeah. stop looking at other movies though, because we're talking about. <gasps> oh Escape. no! Sorry, this '96 was year was a, was an important year to me. Paramount was killing it. Mission Impossible came out this summer. Mission Impossible, you're right. You're right. So, uh, and the Phantom, which who and to would be fair, ever talk to about be fair, that? 
Uh, Mission Impossible, I think, didn't, I think Escape from LA had a trailer on the Mission Impossible VHS. Which did? Sorry, Escape, Escape from, from LA, LA had a trailer on the Mission Impossible VHS. Because I own that and I watched it regularly. Okay, I know the Phantom did. I don't know if Escape from LA did. I know it's both Paramount, so yes. it makes sense. Anyways. But, okay. Yeah. I just, uh, speaking I of just... great supporting actors, yeah. pivot. <laughs> who's your favorite uh supporting player in this movie because i feel there's a lot of great little people that pop up well the course of it. okay so on which level of supporting do you mean like a character who is who's there throughout but pops in and out or are you talking about a character or they who's could like, have like one standout scene okay well i have two then i have two because i do have one like steve buscemi in this movie is he's having a grand time and he's like yeah. I'm, I'm enjoying his every moment map on to screen. the stars eddie yeah, yeah map to the stars eddie um I love LA like that. I whole. love, I really enjoyed the use of Randy Newman's I love LA <laughs> yeah. as part of his like audio device thing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really good. And it, um, it comes up in a big way later. Too. It does. It's fun. Uh to start Eddie's great. Like, because he's, he's flip, he's flip flopping in perfect ways, but he's always affable. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he's he's kind of weasley. He's kind of like, reminding he's not, me of he's not Paul Giamatti. in like a Randall way from like Monsters Inc. Like where he mm-hmm. was, it's like he's no. just Weasley. He's just like he's a survivor, and he's like he's Weasley, but he's so affable. Like he's always likable to everybody he works with. Like you know what I mean? Like everybody, nobody really gets uh, mad at like him. Cuervo almost ices him, but then an explosion saves his. To life. be fair, that was the most unreasonable unre- thing because he did actually tried to stop snake in that moment. oh no yeah it's weird it's like oh dude i just shot snake and i'm pretty sure he's dead and i got this device back for you yeah well i'm gonna kill you it's <laughs> I like know. what and it's like later in the movie i mean i think they have to set up why he's flopping back to snake's team so quickly i think mm-hmm. that's what they're doing they're just showing like you need Cuervo Cuervo is like to a, like be unreasonable yeah he's yeah. just unreasonable like whereas like he has to be able to flip to snake's team like dis- decisively flip yeah later on yeah. and that makes sense uh bruce campbell his uh <laughs> is he's got a great like little cameo the surgeon general of los angeles yeah, yeah like it's they like they do a great job so he's wearing a lot of facial prosthetics because he's a plastic surgeon who does like like super plastic surgery surgeries like surgeon surgeries and grafting like, things onto people yeah but like he already has such an exaggerated face Right, like he already has like that, like the giant he has a chin huge chin anyway, and yeah, jaw, yeah. and is like, and he's just like he already has all those features, but then they just like put prosthetics on him to exaggerate those features, like bigger cheekbones and like a weirder forehead, yeah, and, and yeah, a really yeah. big chin and stuff like that. And it's it's great. What about you? What's your what was yeah. some of your favorites? Uh, I enjoyed Stacy Keach. Like out of the gate, he's he's doing a lot of the kind of establishing the premise and stuff. I enjoyed that Snake never stops hating him. You know, <laughs> yeah. like he tries to kill him like a couple times as he's being deployed on the mission. It's like, yeah, we thought you'd try that. That's why we load your gun with blanks. And yeah, like, like he literally oh. he's being loaded in. And he's like, you guys are not going to be the ones meeting me with the antidote. He's like, nope, and he just <laughs> tries to blow them away. <laughs> but I'm like, Snake, what are you doing? Like, even if they don't meet you. They're not going to, the people that are working with them are maybe going to be pissed off of you for killing them. Like, he's like, you don't really matter, right? Like, you're low on the ladder or something. It's just, yeah, he tries it. And then he tries to kill the president, like, right off. But it's like, I'm a hologram. Why would I be in the same room with you? And they just kind of plant that little seed for later. Uh, Cliff Robertson, 
I don't know that I love him re- really, but like it's weird seeing Uncle Ben be evil, you know, yeah. like cackling villainy kind of thing. Like, but oh, like just kill really my daughter. Pathetically too, sometimes where he's just like, like there's this great scene where he tries to flee, and Stacy Keach is like, "You can't go anywhere, Mister President. You got to see this through." And he's like, mm-hmm. "I'm gonna go to my room and I'm gonna pray." And like just like yeah. he storms off and he's like, "I need to go to my room and pray." And I'm like, "This is this is hilarious. Like this, this is this is the leader. Of this America. is not like." This isn't clever, like, uh, satire. It is very mm-hmm. on the nose, but it's, like, great. Like, it's, like, nailing it type of thing. It's not yeah. being, like, subtle satire. It is, like, the most, like, punch-you-in-the-face satire I've ever seen in the movie. Uh, I feel Peter Fonda pays off great in the surfing scene because, like, I forgot how they set that up where it's just, like, what's he doing? Like, is his buggy going to get flooded? And it's just like, yeah, he doesn't care. It's like <laughs> a once care. in a lifetime surf. Yeah, this is like, like a, this is the surf he's been waiting him. his entire life for. Uh, I love that Peter Fonda's just, it's Peter Fonda and he's there for two scenes. One scene has just to tell the audience once again that this is Snake Plissken. It's the legendary Snake. And then the next yeah. time is just to set up a hilariously dumb, fun action sequence. Yeah, like if if not the basketball scene, like the other scene I vaguely remembered was the like surfing up on Steve Buscemi scene, and he like my turns wife, and goes, "Oh!" My wife was cackling out loud with how stupid that scene was, and I was like, "Yeah, oh, it's, it's kind of great." So funny, like the way it's staged. Like they're in one of the like uh, aqueducts or whatever. Like the oh, it rained too much in L.A. We got to get this out to the ocean kind of things. Yeah. Uh, but like the road has fallen in all around it, so Steve Buscemi's just like driving his convertible right near this wave, yeah. And then Kurt Russell and Kurt Russell's chasing him, car. and it's so funny because you just think like Steve, if you put your brakes on, Kurt Russell can't put he his just brakes sail on. right past you. He has no <laughs> way to control his velocity. But it's yeah, like, no, the fact that Steve Buscemi's there and he he notices him and he tries to catch up and he jumps in the back of the car. It's it's also great and like immediately made me think of another movie that tried a similar scene and it falls mm-hmm. apart so hard in that movie. And it's just because like for me, it's like a simple premise of like in this universe that has already set up so many silly things that snake surfing his way to chase a car is not like remotely unheard of. But James Bond surfing his way in off of a giant like in his final adventure when he's like 65 plus years old is – not nearly as fun or entertaining. Wait, like Roger Moore or what? what when no, it's Die surfing? Another Day has surfing. Oh. Okay. The movie opens like with a big... Halle Berry? No, the movie opens with like him like sneaking in. He gets dropped from a plane and then he lands and he has to surf in... He land... Into North Korea? Yeah. <laughs> okay. He surfs I've seen it. I don't remember that as being like the worst. Like it's like oh, a I was so like upset in the movie theater. Like this egregious. Like here's surfing James Bond. Like what? <laughs> this is a skill set he has. He knows how to surf now. Like I can see it in my brain, but yeah, I don't. I it, it works great here. I like it's bad special effects, but I feel this is like at the peak of like this is why bad is good. But it, to be fair, it's like they do a really good job of like mapping on like a real surf. You like you know those theme park surf places where you mm-hmm. can like go and surf in a like a fake uh wave that they have going like on the wave theme park. pool or something yeah situation like that that's that's kind of what's happening in the scene but then they photo map it with the car driving by and it's i feel it's just like so. the hard edges around kurt russell and stuff like this like the kind of matting yes. over it and everything but it's great. It, it looks fun, and that's the point. I'm laughing as it's happening, and it moves the plot forward because he manages to catch up again with Eddie, and 
pull a gun on him and this get is him back like, on their team or whatever. Like as yeah. I'm watching this movie, I'm trying to I'm also thinking about like Kurt Russell as a action star. And like I think mm-hmm. what sets him apart from like the Schwarzeneggers and the Stallones is like Schwarzenegger he plays his action movies straight, but he does one liners, right? Like so he kinda always has a campy value to him. Mm-hmm. I think Stallone plays his way too straight sometimes. Where he's just like, no, there's no nonsense here. It's only serious stuff going on. Like Rambo 2 is still like has Vietnam War analogies going on. And it's like, this is really weird tonal shift here. Or like uh, when it's in, in a zone where like my cousin and I are laughing hysterically at Cobra. Like, I don't know if, if Stallone's in on the joke or not. You yes. Because he's yep. so serious about it. It's like, no, he's marrying Cobretti and he's got to stop these criminals. And it's yep. like, but is does he know this is hilarious? Like maybe but like sometimes i think he does because there's like this crazy robot music video in that movie no like I, I i think stallone sometimes gets in on it and he knows what he's doing but i feel like kurt russell more than all of them like yeah. fully gets what he's doing all the time like he mm. has no qualms about like being a full-on cartoon character sometimes and i think that's how he sees snake Plissken. and i'm like i appreciate that because i'm watching this movie and here he is being a cartoon character like taking a beating still like grizzly like like saying one-liners to people and having a grand old time so mm-hmm. yeah i i found if there's anything with like his dialogue and stuff because he's he is very much speaking in like sim like you know punchy sentences of just like yeah. yeah uh i don't know if it was the audio mix or what but like he was kind of quieter than the movie sometimes like yeah. i kept having to raise the volume when he's when he's really talking a lot and then lowering it when the music comes back and explosions and whatever. It's just like, oh, crap. Oh, crap. Oh, crap. Like, just always constantly changing things around. But, I, yeah, I, I don't know if that's just my setup or whatever. Like, I, I saw some grumbling from, like, one critic t- complaining about the audio. <laughs> so maybe it's just that's the mix. Like, that's just how it is. No, this guy just but, needs to wait 25 years and go see a Christopher Nolan movie. And then, and then he'll know, have something to complain about. Yeah, then he'll be like, "This, oh no, no, never mind, guys. I, I retract all my statements before. This is the movie where what did anybody say on screen? Because all I can hear was the thwomps from uh, Hans Zimmer. I guess I could have put subtitles on. You're right. <laughs> like I have that power. Uh, okay. I, I enjoyed early during the setup stuff. Like uh, they make this statement about Cuervo managed to kind of indoctrinate Utopia like the president's daughter by like visiting her in these VR experiences which okay you know? again like what a what a wonderful like because we're literally living in the world of meta now becoming like the new yeah like, the metaverse and, like social networking like and stuff like that and here we are watching people, this thing yeah. where it's like no like this is this was how they got into the youth was like using the VR and it's like, and then she was sad and lonely. So she'd go off into her world of VR and I'm like, that is actually what's happening though. Like that's actually a little what's bit. Happening. And then, but the way it's visualized in 1996 was really funny because it's just like a pic, like a, a GIF really like a looping yeah. like video of Cuervo handing something or whatever. And there's this background of like CG flowers yep. <laughs> around him. It looked like a Teletubbies backdrop to me. It, was really it does great. a little bit, but like, have you seen, you haven't seen the Metaverse c- commercial, did you? No, I haven't seen the Metaverse. It is either. actually Mark standing in like what looks like a, di- a, si- a digitally simulated space. So uh, in my mind, I'm like, oh, this is actually what this is. Because it's just this a is starting dude, to go this way. Yeah. A dude standing in the middle of a digitalized space, but the digitalization of the space looks 
cheesy because that is it was like that was the mm-hmm. best they could do. I don't mm-hmm. know. Oh, I, I think it's funny. Like I think it plays pop like in a positive way. It was just like a weird bit. Yeah, I, but, I yeah. no, I agree with you. I, I I thought it was good, but another one of those levels of like the satire that it, that it is more appreciated today than it would have been twenty five years ago. Like uh-huh. my dad, I, honestly, my parents would be like, "What's VR?" Like they don't even explain what VR is. They just like this is what it is. Like they just say VR world and mm-hmm. move forward. Like so, if anybody was like of a previous Escape from New York generation. They'd be like, what are they talking about? Like, what is this thing? It's like, oh, like the Sega Genesis sort of tried to do this or whatever at like this one games convention. But now it's like, no, no, I own one. Like I have a helmet near me. Like VR is real, you know? But I mean, like so. even then I was like, what was it? Virtual Boy came out around the same time? 95. Yeah. yeah. But that so was like, like that wasn't thing. good VR. That was literally put your hel- a helmet on. And it was all black with red, like red, like dots everywhere. Red and black was the yeah. color scheme. Yeah. No, get was- a headache terrible I yeah going to my blockbuster. but I, I guess i like that yeah carpenter's kind of looking at beyond what currently was available which would have been like yeah sega saturn and stuff yes uh, which there was allegedly a escape from la video game in development but unfortunately it got canceled it was going to be for saturn so oh, i wish yeah. i could see some of that saturn <laughs> would have oh, well. been uh they probably repurposed like that company making it probably repurposed scenes like levels into other games Maybe if they survived, I heard that. You can say. So, but my point about uh, Schwarzenegger Sloan was like, I get like, if this movie, if these people like Kurt Russell and John Carpenter made Judge Dredd, I feel like they would have found the right tone for Judge Dredd and would have made a really great movie. Yeah, no, I do enjoy them as collaborators. Unfortunately, it's the last time they worked together uh, because I guess Carpenter's career kind of didn't recover from these. Well, that's <laughs> for the much thing. Longer. Yeah. Like, this yeah. is the first time they've worked together for a few years already, because it was like, mm-hmm. was it Big Trouble the last time they worked together? Like, 86? Yeah, almost a decade prior, yeah. Yeah. And so, and Kurt, Kurt Russell and him were on different proje- projections. Like, if this movie was a hit, they would have done a third movie. And I know. That that third movie would have been, like, so good. Uh, it this the, watching this it did make me kind of feel sad about Ghost of Mars in a way like if you swapped out Desolation Williams for Pliskin I would just care about it more. Well, you know? and, it, and I think the structure of the film would have been different too because I don't think I think it would have been all on Snake and not at all on uh, Natasha Henstridge and I think yeah just, like you wouldn't split the heroism between these characters it would just be like no Snake has to go in and figure out what's going on oh yes. no crazy zombies exactly. or something and I think yeah. what they did is they they, they like. They took a script idea and they made it work for a new idea, but it was like in better form. It probably would have been. That being said, I do like the narrative structure of Ghost of Mars that you probably wouldn't have gotten, like with the recounting of the yeah. stories. But anyways, yeah. um, it does make me you sad. Know, Rashomon. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here in this world where it's like having Kurt Russell go to space uh, would be. Funny. I know. I I want that parallel dimension where like this made a hundred million dollars and that was Escape from Mars and it was awesome. Sometimes, man, you know? like I honestly like. There's a part of me that wants like the multiverse to be like a real thing, but not just that. Like the Mandela type effects to become real, where you actually can touch other universes and have memories of things. Because or you can how watch great... Sinbad's genie movie. That's what I mean. See it. <laughs> yeah. Like that's how great would it be if you like lived in a universe, or you had a memory of a universe where you saw uh, Escape from Mars, and every you come back here and you're like, everyone's like, what are you talking about? It's Ghost of Mars, not Escape from Mars. And you're like, what? It was Revenge of the Jedi here. Yeah. 
Yeah. Or like, uh, like yeah, and you just get you just confuse up that with soldier, and you're like, yeah, it's like he's a dude. He has to go in outer space, and I just I really like soldier too. Like this is a good era of like Kurt Russell stuff going on, and mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah, I like that he was passionate about this and like made it happen. I just yeah, it's too bad the audience was. I mean, I was nine years old. I'm not gonna take blame for that. I wasn't allowed to see it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, but there was this bad. recent article that um. John Carpenter's been staying in the news the last couple of years because he's been working pretty heavily with uh, uh, working on the Halloween movies, soundtracks, like scores. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. he's like part of the creative process. Like I guess David Gordon Green sends him the latest updates on the script. Like whenever they go through revisions, they send it to him to get his like approval or his input type of thing. He doesn't write anything, but he'll like give them feedback. It's like a consultant or something. Yeah, like they yeah. want him to be involved in the process is really what it comes down to. And so he was talking recently about the Halloween movies and, and video games. Like he recently said Halo Infinite. Is yeah. Is that a thing? Is that yeah, the newest that's one? that's the newest one. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Then it wasn't, the, I think that he said like, that's his favorite Halo game. Like he loved it. He said he was really excited uh, about it and liked it. Okay. Um, but anyways, uh, and then he was talking about like the, the reviewer was like, hey, like there's been this like recent resurgence and appreciation for Escape from LA. Um, how do you feel about that? And he was like ecstatic because he was like, I've always liked it more. It's always been my preferred of the two. I think it has like actually has a plot, like a good story to it versus the first one is kind of like not that great. Mm-hmm. And I think in his mind, it's just like, it's like the half measures thing. It's like George Lucas looking at new hope and like not seeing what fans see. He just sees all the wasted potential. Like, Oh man, if I had a budget for this or I have a budget for that, if I had a bigger budget for this, I would have been able right. to do all these more things. I think that's what he sees when he sees escape from New York is like, Oh, like I didn't, I wasn't able to do all the stuff I wanted to. All of a sudden you gave me 50 million and I was able to do all the things I wanted to. So it's like a more realized version. And I think that's Mm -hmm. what, like when George does his special editions, it's because he's like, I, if I had this money, I would have always made these choices, right? Like I would have always put these bigger things in. I guess like the, the main framing where I first heard that assertion was about like the cantina scene in New Hope. Yeah. was always like, ugh, this is like such a fraction of what I wanted it to be. So then the Jabba's Palace got to be way more crazy. Yeah. and, and But then and, I found it weird that they then enhanced the Jabba's Palace even later. And I was like, I think he nailed Jabba's Palace. I didn't need Yeah, I think more. he did too. But I even think he went beyond it. He also wanted like, uh, I think Attack of the Clones bar scene is actually his favorite. Like that's like the potential he wanted. Like it's the a- Death Sticks scene? Yeah. Or, oh, okay, okay. Um... But anyways, like, yeah, I think he just, he, he, even when you look at that bar scene, like there's creatures in there that are, you can clearly tell are just reused masks that were grabbed type of thing. Mm-hmm. So he, and I, I get what his, his vision is because he's just like, when you work on a, like he, he was funding the movie out of his own pocket. He didn't have the infinite amount of dollars that he eventually would have because he owned merchandising and film rights. Uh, mm-hmm. Like I get that half measures thing. And, and like John Carpenter made a whole career like John Carpenter made it, started off in indie projects, but he really quickly went and started doing studio movies. Like he would get like studio deals where he would be able to have like final cut and make whatever he wants for universal. And he had like a multi picture deal with universal. As long as he made a few hits for them, he'd be able to make Prince of darkness. If he made them the thing, he can make Prince of darkness. He can make, they live, he can make village of the damned. And those movies are like, I mean, Prince of Darkness is a pretty small scale thing. Again, it's kind of what I appreciate about it. But that's it. what I'm saying. Like, it's uh, like he got to yeah. make, 
he's doing like a one for them, one for me scenario. Whereas, mm-hmm. like, in what world does Prince of Darkness like get a big budget? I feel like Starman is the one that earned him some credits here, but yeah, yeah like yeah. money wise, yeah, yeah. But that's what I'm saying. Like, he he clearly is a dude who likes to work within the model, but he also always was chasing like he wanted more money to be able to do the bigger ideas. Like, he wasn't like just bent on like always doing small scale things. I kind of got some like they live vibes from like the ad for this movie I just saw. Like it, it's pretty funny. I don't know if you've seen it. It starts with like kind of standard theater stuff of just like, hey, no talking, no phones or whatever. Like I guess cell phones would have existed in 96, right? I'm trying to think. No littering. Like it's standard stuff. But then it goes to like no red meat, no freedom of religion. <laughs> it's just like, oh, and then it opens on like the fascist like eagles thing on like a truck or whatever, yeah. and it's like the island of Los Angeles in the future, and it's like oh, it's a trailer. It just seemed like it was a theater PSA for a second. Like it's got some of that weird snark to it or whatever about society. That, that kind of sounds like fun. Yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, but I I don't know. It just didn't resonate in '96. I guess it was too silly, maybe. <laughs> I don't like, know, like, what are what are negative people saying, though? Like, uh, kind of, like, complaining about it, rehashing the original. Oh, so uh, it's like, like a lot just of like, people... Oh, who... it's like a remake. It's not a true sequel or something. Or, oh, this is, this is too silly and not, like, satirical, but not in any, like, clever way or whatever. Like, gotcha. it seemed kind of bitter about that. Um, I know Ebert, what did he say? It goes deliberately and cheerfully over the top, which seems more accurate to me <laughs> like it it enjoys where it's at i would say okay so like i'm looking at some of these on imdb and someone it seems like a lot of like comparisons to like their nostalgia for the first movie versus what the second movie is or to them mm-hmm. like it's like this one guy wrote escape from new york was a low budget cult film with cheapo effects escape from la is a big budget movie with cheapo effects and i'm like oh okay like i understand like you're just you're being like, there are limitations to both films, but you're being critical of the second one because you didn't like it as much as the first Because it should have not looked like that or something? Like, it, it wouldn't have had the same goofy tone. That's that said, it, there's, like, moments where, like, there was this map painting of a crashed ship or something. And yeah. I was like, that just looks fine. Like, that looks good. Well, that's what I mean. Like, I, what I don't understand about people's criticism of this of this movie is, like, that first movie is just as campy as this one. And this one's just as campy. Like, it's right in the same vein. So why sit there and be like, it's just like Kurt Russell's star had risen to a point where he could like get this made at this level. Yeah. You know? But even yeah. then, like, it's like, they're like, oh, it's made for more money. I'm like, yeah, but they still made choices that were clearly like low budget choices. Like I'm sitting and there. It, I, yeah. I don't feel like it's sold out and it's like pandering to exactly. bigger crowds or whatever. Like it's still being pretty snarky about like Disneyland and where oh, Hollywood yeah, and America future, are going. All that future... And- dystopian nonsense is all still there right like it's i don't know uh-huh. my favorite scene so he gets introduced to uh the the girl halfway through the movie like the french actress forget her name oh i i wrote down her, the actress's name uh it's uh, valeria golino yeah like yeah she's this kind of like savvy street person who's trying to help her help from, him from but... rain man is where i know her from but she's also in the hotshot films I think I know her from the Hotshot films. I was trying to like figure out where I've seen her. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I know her from Rain Man. Like she's Tom Cruise's main love interest. Um, mm-hmm. She shows up and like she's one of the people he meets. 
And I remember watching, every time I watch it, I always forget, like, what happens to her. I assume that something, like, she betrays him in some way. But she's just there to kind of, like, be the innocent voice in this corrupt place. <laughs> to the point where, like, they go, they're walking, and they come across these, like, newbies. They're there, and they're all terrified, and they're holding hands, and they're praying, and, like, trying to encourage each other. And then, like, a gang of kids open fire for no reason whatsoever on these people and starts killing everybody, including her. Like right at yeah. the right at the moment where she becomes like fully realized as a character, like, no, I'm gonna stay here. I understand this place. I don't want to leave because this is this is like, This is the becomes, only place where we're still actually free. You can wear a fur coat here and yeah. eat red meat. Yeah, yeah. And then she gets shot and you're just like, yeah, of course. Like the moment she becomes fully realized, you kill her. And I was like, this is just as cheesy and silly as all the other movies. And they kind of remind me of like Rambo two when like he finally has a conversation with that Vietnamese lady who's there, yeah. and then like seconds later she just gets attacked by some random sniper. Or something. I mean, like, I, like, I appreciate what? Roger that Roger points this out because he's like, it's using the same tropes like in action films that that all, they're also being satirical of. Like this clearly is being satirical and still using it. Like it's doing that double edged sword and making it work. What's the other mm-hmm. big one where like they use the trope, but I also subvert it at the same time. It's, it's pretty common thing in uh, this film or no, in, in like it? in general. I just, I remember talking about this recently. It's my own memory. I'm trying to remember. That's all I'm doing. So, okay. Anyways. Um, yeah. So her little like death scene and then, yeah, these, these kids, like literally they're children, like with less preteens with Uzis, which, Again, it was like Lethal Weapon came out a few years before this, and that was also about preteen teens having Uzis on the street. So I was like, and then they get into this muscle car and drive away. And I was just like, not even a muscle yeah. car. It was a hot rod. No, it looked a like rod. a Plymouth Fury or something to me. It's like yeah. this weird fire painted car. It yeah, looked like, yeah. honestly, it, like, yeah, it was a hot rod that they got into and drove away. And it was like, this is a cartoon world we're living in right now. And it's kind of great. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I don't like I'm just yeah looking through there the I really enjoyed how over the top the muzzle flashes were like they're animated after so there's like a scene where he's just firing this like uh AR-33 or whatever and it just has like the biggest craziest fire flashes coming off of that thing uh and wait they yeah. animated that afterwards I think so there's like a unit credited for like making those look more awesome you oh, know okay. Yeah, That's yeah. I mean, you can put tracers and stuff in there, but if you want, I mean, look like there's really there are silly. like muzzle flash. There are special blanks that create big muzzle flashes, bigger like flashes. Yeah. yeah, but I guess spruced up somewhat. It looks good. <laughs> it does. Like I wasn't mad at it. Yeah. Uh, and then final character is like kind of in a weird place nowadays, but I, Pam Greer's in here yeah. <laughs> as Hershey. Sorry, what do you uh, mean in a weird place nowadays? Well, it's just that. Like Snake keeps deliberately oh, not yes, appreciating yes. her transition and keeps yeah. calling her by her old name. So yeah, Pam and Greer it's like is yeah uh, used to identify as a male and was carjack the car- carjack that yeah. was a person who Snake did a job with in Cleveland. That carjack like we kind of got some context. Carjack bailed on this mission on this job and Snake like got burned from it. And mm-hmm. now when he comes across carjack now identifies as a woman and is uh goes by chocolate what's the name hershey hershey (laughs) (laughs) and (laughs) yeah uh goes by hershey and he yeah he is he kind of like grabs hershey's crotch and says as many as much as things change they say the same and Mm -hmm. 
They gave Hershey a deeper voice, like they ADR'd her voice down to make it a little more grovel. Yeah, I heard I heard it was like it I wasn't even sure if I was hearing Pam Greer speaking, but I guess it is her. It's yeah. just pitched down an octave and a half or yeah, something like that. Yeah, like it, like it that. is it, yeah. it is clear cuz like even the voice mapping is too I too on beat to mm-hmm. to be somebody else. Um yeah, you're right. Like it's definitely insensitive towards a community of people that are uh nowadays, yeah. Right, and the character doesn't die or anything. They team up. They're a yeah. successful part of this mission or whatever. Like it's it's mostly fine. It was just like, Wait, oh, this is a die, bit. Though. Does her, does Hershey die? Yeah, because they get on the helicopter, and the only ones that survive the helicopter. Are oh, snake right. And- I remember. Okay, the person I remember dying in that scene was Al Leong's character, who's like the Crunch Bar henchman from Die Hard. <laughs> I just like noticed he was there because he has a very like distinct hairstyle or whatever. Is he? Which one is he? Uh, he's one of her crew. Or I know. Which like, can, he, I, I know, think he's sitting in the middle. There's a few he's few mostly bald, but has like really long hair on the sides. Yeah, the Asian gentleman, right? He yes, yeah. Okay, thank you. Uh, I was like, I, was I said his name. No, Leon. but I, I didn't want to come to conclusions. Okay. Uh, anyways, yes, he's a bit actor who's been in a lot of things. I think he's actually been in a few John Carpenter films too. Okay, I just know him as Crunch Bar Man, so that's who I thought I saw, and it was true. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he d- <laughs> the helicopter they're in, the very CG helicopter, <laughs> yes. uh, Cuervo uh, lines up a rocket launcher at it from Disneyland or whatever. It's We'll get back to the hang glider scene, I guess. Uh, but yeah, uh, Steve Buscemi's character, Map, like Map to the Stars Eddie, shoots him thinks everything's good but he still gets one rocket off and he jumps out of the helicopter he just like bails on them yeah uh and then this fire like rips through the helicopter but only kills the people in the back seat and i guess if hershey was there that's that's it then i was noticing the the center gentleman yeah but yeah everybody gets roasted except uh who else is in the front of the copter with him uh it's just him and the president's daughter utopia utopia yeah Yeah, that's him that's the gentleman. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I was kind of like, oh, what a crazy fire. Like, it's super intense that it can kill people, but it's controlled enough that it's just annoying to Snake. Yeah. And he keeps piloting. Well, yeah, because he has gap. to, he just, ha- all he has to do is, like, get over a small, like, river, it looks like. It's like. Right. It's- where he previously had piloted the submarine that then got ruined. Yeah. Like, he, he just, ha- he just it. has to go a very short distance. And so he's just trying to crash land, not. At the military yeah. base and not in the water. Yeah, yeah. Because he has a, uh, and a he, plan. He, he sneaks a, a control pad into Utopia's pocket and, like, kicks her out. And then crashes and there's a huge explosion <laughs> that he survives because it's more awesome that way. Well, no, <laughs> like because that jacket. His jacket. He got his jacket back. You forgot about that. His jacket is, is flame and fire resistant. Okay. And Airtight. heat resistant, too. Yeah, they said it's that. A, it's a really big explosion. <laughs> but okay, <laughs> okay. It's flame. I, I think he dives out because he lands not near the space, like the helicopter. Yeah, yeah. It, I was just marveling at like the audacity of that. But whatever, yes. He walks away from it in awesome ways that you do. Uh, and then the ending sequence plays out, which apparently Kurt Russell contributed most of his writing to. Uh, and I like this ending. I think it's like the closest this movie gets to like a clever thing happening. Yeah. You know? Uh, the president's there. Uh, Stacy Keach is there. Uh, they they like ask for the control pad. Realize it's probably actually in Utopia's pocket and grab that one. Yeah. Uh, and then the president's like, "Turn on the cameras. I'm going live to the entire planet." 
I gotta, I gotta tell. Because well, he enemies. has. Uh, so to give context, we are skipping whole big patches. There is um, uh, a military from Mexico that's invading Florida Cuban right now. Alliance. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. Guervo is is wants this thing to cripple America and allow the worldwide alliance of evil atheists to uh, win. <laughs> well, <It's... laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah. To... I... The theocracy is the real problem here. No, but I was okay. I was putting I was putting evil in quotations like the evil. Oh, okay, atheists. no one can see that. Yeah, yeah. I thought you. Um, no, the like evil atheists stop them from uh, you know showing up and and causing more problems with their uh, like amoral ways. Anyways, mm-hmm. and so the president's like, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna attack Mexico. All of Mexico is gonna get shut down from this thing, and then he turns it on and. I love LA. I love LA. Yeah. <laughs> and Steve Buscemi's voice still. Uh yeah, it it and then he's just like very clever but give it to me and like turns the camera around, asks everybody to shoot Snake. And then he pulls the trick they pulled on him at the beginning of the movie, which I appreciate there was no other hologram stuff in the interim to remind you that this could happen because yeah. I successfully forgot again. And I was oh, like, geez, okay. "Oh yeah, right. Okay. He uses the hologram to like fake them all out." And he's actually broadcasting from like a half mile away or whatever, like up yeah. the hill or something. And he has the real device and types in the world code, which is 666. <laughs> and then it's just like, are you really going to do that? Are you really going to like deny our 500 years of achievements and all our technology? And then he just presses the button. Well, then, uh, OK, but then this is this is my world. favorite scene in the whole movie, because then he. He pulls out his wood matches, which, again, were set up at the beginning of the movie where it's just like yep. good old fashioned like, wood matches. What are these? Yeah. All of his equipment's yep. dead, but he sells wood matches. Then he pulls out his lights a cigarette, and then he stares dead into the camera, and he just says, "Welcome to the human race." And then, like, and and movie to black fade like, down fade to, black. to credits, and yeah. then like a Marilyn Manson type song comes on. <laughs> like it's no, no, it's it's White Zombie, and it's pretty good. Okay. It's it's yeah. I, again, I, I I mean, I I was I it was either I was gonna say a Marilyn Manson type song comes on or a Rob Zombie type song comes on, but they're and it was it was Rob Zombie. Yeah, but, but yeah, yeah, I mean, there's there there are correlations there between the two of them. Except one is super not cool right now, so or yeah, or ever. Marilyn is yeah yeah. Turns well, he seemed cool in like 1999 when Bowling for Columbine came out, and he was in that interview. <laughs> No, no, you he know. definitely seemed cool, but the the point of the allegations is that he probably was never actually. He probably was never actually cool. Yeah, uh, yeah, no. you're right. Rob Zombie is definitely the guy I should mention, but I personally do not like Rob Zombie, so it's oh man, a tough one. I know. that's okay. Yeah, I I listened to that song again today. I, oh no, I, it's, I'm, hey, it's a very I'm Rob not taking Zombie away. Brand. Dragula is a fun song. I I guess my my biggest thing is like his contribution to the the art of cinema has really made me question art and cinema so right i feel personally responsible for that because i made you not leave halloween too because <laughs> like weird al's cameo hasn't happened yet we can't go yeah. so yeah that movie and is it's so bad. bad it's, it's so bad. bad anyways um <laughs> yeah so yes but a, a heavy a 90s heavy metal song comes on uh mm-hmm. and then plays out through the credits yeah that movie man that, that ending is a pretty solid ending he get like he Kurt Russell just gets to be like iconic at that end. Like he just stares down the barrel of the camera. Welcome to the human race. And then mm-hmm. he's already got his cool eye patch and everything. Yeah. I will like Metal Gear Solid four introduces like a virus into the plot too. So I'm not going to say that isn't 
part of this stealing from this franchise. Uh, but the virus, as it turns out in this, is just a flu. Yeah, like, he it, just, it he was. Common, it was just psychological. It's a fu- it's to, a fast acting flu, is what it was. It was like yeah, he would go through the whole ramifications of a flu in eight hours and be, come out the other side being feeling fine, type of thing. Right. So they don't need an antidote or anything. No. But he kind of figured they would betray him, so he he got ahead of that on them. Yeah, I think uh, no matter what, he was waiting for that antidote. Like, I don't think he figured out that piece, but he was always setting up an end game where it was like, I can't actually give this weapon to the president because, like, that that is bad news. Sure. Yeah. So, so he he's willing to press the button when other people won't. Uh, which I don't know how that series would then go to Mars with no <laughs> technology, <laughs> but uh, like it would seem like more in keeping with like it's medieval warfare now with yeah. like snake and blade weapons or something. But uh, oh well. Yeah. Um. All right. I guess two questions, like two questions I missed throughout. Uh, generally, how do you feel about like the score and stuff in this movie? Like, uh, oh, Carpenter is really good at that in general. Like, do you? Yeah. Like the horror? the main the main theme score like played over the. Cre- I, like, played- I really like the opening credits. Yeah. Yeah, that's, it, but it plays over my um like the the Blu-ray menu, and I was mm-hmm. just like like I was just walking around doing stuff while I was before I was sitting down to watch it, and it was playing in the background, and I was like. Man, he really is. He's good at this stuff. He's like, he's really good mm-hmm. at it. And I wonder if his collaborator on music is like, she's the person who brings the other non Carpenter esque things. Because there are a few like heavy metal notes or non like Carpenter esque stuff in this movie that I was like, is that what she brings to the table? It's hard to say. I remember him talking about how he collaborates on Prince of Darkness special features. Yeah. And it's kind of like, he'll kind of. improvise some things and like play around and get get some stuff and then like give that material to be like edited together into a thing so because my big thing is like i i I want to believe that he creates like the the key sound like that little like i'm uh, pretty sure that like key chord progression like theme like he found that yeah yeah Yeah. and i'm totally okay with that because even the prince of darkness like the key chord progression theme of that movie is a solid thing i'm okay if somebody took those ideas and then scored it for him because he's busy doing other things uh because he's still coming up with that chord progression and and making a good sounding like synth Mm. wave thing going on and this movie this movie kind of like in the 90s he started to play more with like guitars adding guitars electric guitars to his sound effects to his uh scores and this movie does a really good job of that. Whereas I think like sometimes there's moments in Ghosts of Mars where it's like, hey, this uh, what's this guy's name? What's his name? Buckethead or whatever. No, he's like, like that's that, one of them. No, but like, yeah, I know. But there's the one main guy who is he's like a big in the like metal scene type of thing. Oh, it's fine. I'll find it. But anyways, he shows up and it's like a lot more shredding. And I'm just like, ah, this is not quite what I want. But OK, this is here. It punctuates uh, some fights in that movie in a fun way. It does. But yeah, yeah. The uh, th- like, it's not as memorable. That's right. I he's guess. working with Anthrax in that movie, right? Uh, amongst others. But I think yeah. it co- the a- composer for is John Carpenter in Anthrax. It's credited on IMDb. Oh, okay. So, All right. That's weird. Anyways. So yeah, so I just like there's those those things that are like that, that you can see it kind of being introduced in this in this era too. Like he clearly mm-hmm. likes the '90s metal scene, so. Oh, I I like the opening credits though. Like he goes back to his like Albertus font or whatever from like yeah. the thing. Oh yeah, and I think Prince of Darkness. 
and then like the green lines though with like the sound effects yep. on them like the aiming reticles oh, or whatever's so happening for like wiping names off and stuff mm-hmm. i was just like so i was i was like happy early in yeah. this i guess uh, it was just what, that what is, weird darkness levels thing the font is albertus is what it is albertus albertus okay L- yeah uh, it's it's a great font, and I appreciate it. And so we, the way you said it was John Carpenter's Escape from L.A. That is what the movie is called. Like that is yeah yeah. Is, like when I was searching for factoids about it and stuff, like Box Office Mojo just credits as Escape from L.A., but I don't know why. Yeah, um, it would be wrong. But though, yeah. So, anyways, um, okay. What's the other question? Oh, it was just uh, how how did you generally feel about the original movie? Like, I guess we both said we probably should have watched it. Um, I, I like. I, it. I haven't in some years, but I, I do yeah. like it. I remember finding it to be a little drier and a little more boring at times. Um, but I also couldn't tell you. I saw like I haven't seen it in over a decade. That's the big thing. Okay. Um, okay. But like I remember, yeah, like it's just a little bit more drier and. Like, it's not quite the level of camp I want out of this type of movie. It's a little too mm-hmm. serious sometimes. And Donald Pleasance is there, and he's having a grand time, so that is good. But a lot of the gangs I just didn't care about, and Adrian Barbeau was there for a lot of it I didn't care about. Yeah. Okay. What about you? Yeah, I'm curious to revisit it after watching this, because it is very much like, you know, we're going to a crazy island in a dystopic future on a mission for the president. Like, that's in common. Yeah. Uh, and Russell really likes playing this island. character. It's just, it's just closed off. Is it's it not just, like it's just we're going up. to Manhattan or something? Yeah, no, no. I think it's just walled up. Like it's just walled okay. up. Okay, to get back to the wall because gangs have taken over, type of thing. Oh, okay, cool. So the island stuff is introduced in this one. Yeah, <laughs> like that whole the whole earthquake was the big thing with this one, right? Like the yeah, big one yeah. that will take out California. Um, yeah, I, I I don't have any problems with Escape from LA. Out of all of those early John Carpenter films, though. Like Escape from like Escape from New York is pretty low on my list of like still something I really enjoy, but like I like the thing more. I like Big Trouble more. I like Prince of Darkness more. I like They Live more. I like Halloween more. Like, yeah, yeah. Now I'm curious to go look at it again, and that core theme is also in that, which yeah. was annoying because Spotify only has the Escape from New York soundtrack. Like it's like a playlist for LA. Yeah. So I couldn't listen to the new version, which I wanted to do. Uh, oh, he released there, the but... new version of it? Well, it sounds different. Like, the opening credits is yes. not the same instrumentation. Gotcha. Yeah. So somebody took, like, he's like, someone took the Escape from New York theme and said, this is kind of similar, but it's not. But what about... No, no, no. The... I'm saying, like, on the original recorded album for Escape from New York, it's just in- different instruments they're using. Like, oh. it's the same theme, but, but it's, it's just... different. Yeah, so he's just... Okay, I understand what you said. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah, no, Spotify has its huge limitations to it mm-hmm. like you should go um to the itunes store i'm trying to just look through some oh, okay ebert brought it up so now is the time to talk about the sequence i guess uh i love this quote of his from the review whose heart is so stony it can resist the sight of kurt russell and pam greer swooping down from the sky automatic weapons blazing in an attack on disneyland <laughs> and i think that's a fair question to all these critics and haters out there what's wrong with you you know, that's just great stuff. Yeah. So, <laughs> no, I, I, like, that's yeah. A good point. Yeah, like it, yeah. It is so silly. The conceit, even like, I remember the gearing up scene, like where they're like putting on all their gear and getting ready to go on the, on the winds. I was like, 
oh man, like he's really committing to this like. I I, I kind of loved all the hang glider stuff now though, because like I feel Far Cry Blood Dragon stole from this movie more than any other movie. Like that that game's deliberately trying to be campy eighties like VHS action throwback thing. Which Far Cry like, story? Blood Dragon. Okay. Like the map and the LA like the map of LA island and everything, like that thing Stacy Keach is looking at when they're flying like driving the submarine across and everything looks very similar and the hang gliders is it common to both like it's i don't know it just feels like that was the vibe they were trying to tap is the 1996 escape from la kind of thing okay so when did yeah. this game the, come out I, I don't know the far cry series 2013 i think okay. it was like dlc for three gotcha. it was like a spin-off of sorts gotcha but yeah so michael bn plays the character though so i get why you'd do that but you know <laughs> when um okay when did metal gear solid one come out 1998 so not soon after this movie like this it would have been in yeah then huh and the character had already appeared in like uh like psx games or whatever like computer games in japan yeah uh at this point and there was an nes like kind of remake or whatever but was he called snake in japan yes he's called snake in those games as well but that's obviously post 1981 yeah so yeah, it's yeah, already yeah. stealing from new york and then i feel they gave them fresh stuff to steal for the next wave gotcha. of games yeah. uh did did the the japanese voice actor have the same like grovelly voice that david Hayter brings to it uh yeah like i mostly look for the david Hayter interpretation of it but uh yeah he's he's a gruff speaking dude with one-liner okay. type stuff yeah how did like, david no, Hayter the, become the like he's a screenwriter first i don't know i like i went to a panel of his where he talks about his voice acting career i don't really remember how he auditioned for it or that worked out but Was i mean he involved in getting, getting a script? ps1 game wouldn't have been a problem like at the time really okay but what's like was yeah. he involved in the script in some way like was he no no he didn't have anything to do with the writing okay. like it's it's a kojima production on yeah. that end okay but yeah cool yeah, yeah. Video hey, games. so okay then what do you come when you come down to it like roger gave this three and a half out of four mm -hmm. How, are you on his island i'm on the island yeah i'm definitely at least a three uh i feel like my dumb audio visual experience was partially my fault and like you know i feel in a perfect setting i could get to 3.5 as well on mm -hmm. this movie i, I mean um, i got to a 3.5 on my setup and i have like the scream factories like blu-ray that came out last summer uh mm -hmm. and it's gorgeous so yeah I, I i'm fully with him like him and i are hanging out in the middle of that island both of us with our end of the world drinks enjoying snake as the electricity goes out but around all of us so no yeah it's 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 fun time it keeps moving very swiftly and like just crazy sights throughout like you get cuervo's weird car with like the doll heads and the disco <laughs> yeah. ball but then he you but know. then steve buscemi gets to drive cuervo's nice looking car yes <laughs> yeah but so then weird. yeah i also rewatched the uh the chase scene because that was totally ruined by how dark it was like okay. it's way better than i remember like the than i saw the night before yeah. the like motorcycle chase where yep. he then like drives onto the truck i kind of oh. missed that it's Great, such a good, dumb thing. It's, it's such a yeah. fun little stunt that they like didn't actually pull off. They just had this really bad 
edit to yeah it, it's, it's sort it's of similar to the like weird look of the special effects of the surfing but scene but something i minor... really appreciated in this scene in that scene is so he catches up and he snake is trying to catch the front car by running over top of the vehicles and guervo has enough of it so he runs backwards and like chases like they chase each other to meet each other on top of these vehicles in like, the vehicle convoy like, or whatever yeah guillermo doesn't allow throws, him to like, catch the... up Cuervo doesn't allow him to catch up. He just like finally gives up. He's like, fine, I'm going to go do it myself. And he runs backwards and jumps on vehicles and goes over top of them and catches up the snake too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Then he throws just like this ball thing and snake falls for it. And it's so silly. So yeah, it's like, just lie down. He's not going to be able to tangle you up if you don't (laughs) rise up yet. But then he he does it. Yeah, he does. So So. too confident that I'll be able to shoot him. Yeah. Anyways. So yeah, no, good. I'm happy that you had a good time too. It's definitely... Yeah. Again, I, no, I don't think this is a movie that critics were away from. It was definitely like the world doesn't think highly of this movie at the time. And it was like not looked back upon well. It it was kind of shrugged off. Yeah. Like, like it feels honestly, like, oh, not, you know, it's just reminding me of this better movie from the 80s in their mind or whatever, which I feel like it knows about its own nostalgia. Like it, it's like Snake is dressed the exact same. Uh, yeah. he He's talking about his old missions and stuff. And like they allude to all that stuff and talk about it like they know. You know, yeah, like honestly, though, until I had this Blu-ray, I don't. I think this is one of those movies that never went on to, never went on to Blu-ray, and it was like on an old animor, not on anamorphic disc. Like this was like, there was like no like anniversary editions of on Blu-ray of this movie. Like it was something like, and then that kind of like tells you a little bit the legacy of films when they don't show up on things elsewhere, type of thing. Like nobody was touching it. Mm-hmm. So, but yes. hopefully the narrative is turning on it. Like we didn't exactly get into it, but it's like over fifty percent liked it, but it was pretty tepid. Like I like that mm-hmm. Ebert's going higher on his scale for it, you know. Yeah, and like, and like because I think there's a part of Ebert too that like, and he he does situate it in a point in time where he's like he was clearly in the middle of a summer where everybody was going Independence Day crazy, and he was like, yeah. I'm gonna have more fun with this movie despite that other film thing you know where it's like like that movie played it safe and this movie goes crazy whereas i, I feel like, like maybe if this movie came out a year later or a year before he would have given it a three out of four but he gave it that extra half mark because it wasn't independence day like it had the audacity right. to not be independence day so which is fine. like this is counter programming this thing i don't really like so i'm yeah. gonna extra endorse it exactly yeah. exactly he's yeah. one to be a little bit a little bit louder of a voice in the midst of a crowd so mm-hmm. which is fine contrarian perhaps but sometimes yeah no, he sometimes has okay. like contrarian streaks to him where he like he'll just like a movie because other people don't like it or mm-hmm. they like like he or he won't oh. like a movie he's like i don't get this <laughs> i forgot to mention this guy i thought it was really funny uh one of cuervo's like tech henchman guys yeah Leland. is like is just the villain like that dude from alien resurrection are yeah. you talking about yeah and yeah seven. he just looks like he's wearing the same costume almost yes. like he has glasses and like a hoodie and he's, he's test tube. Like... he plays his character's name is test tube in this movie it is leland yeah. overser overser whatever his name is i don't know his mm-hmm. name is leland and he is a yeah he's a character actor who's been a lot of things and yeah he is the he's the guy who has the chest he has the alien in his chest, and he has a great death scene, super gory death scene in Alien Resurrection. Uh, well, it's and... like the characters are talking like he's not even there, and he's just panicking in the background. Yeah. It's like, what do you mean? What's inside me? Or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Like, That's a good scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's also in Seven in my like 
a visual. Oh, is he in the gnarly scene in that too? He is in the uh, scene that is like that is that a visual mark has been left on my brain that I'm never going to unthink of. Mm-hmm. He's in the what is it? The lust one. It's lust. lust yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. It is and he's the survivor. He's the one that's freaking out. Like I think he dies. Doesn't his heart explode from stress or something like that? No, that doesn't happen. He's just he's so stressed out though because he's wearing mm-hmm. it and the way that they blanket. Fincher's such a genius. The way that he put the blanket on, because he's still wearing it, but they have the blanket yeah. covering the contraption. But even just that idea. So he can just, like imply to you what's going on, but he can't show you. Or else but then they have a show you a separate. But then what they do is they show you a separate picture of just the contraption, not on a person. Yeah. And so, so you, you put you two and to two together, it together and... and it's the worst piecing together I've ever had in my life. Like my brain was like overload like i saw that as a kid like a younger person and i never picked up those pieces and then as an adult i was like finally watching it and i was like oh oh no oh and now it sits with me forever so thanks david thanks uh, that was a year earlier <laughs> but yeah yeah um but okay so yeah we're both on the island uh i guess i'll go mvp first on this one sure uh, it's kind of hard, like, not to be lazy on this one, but I just went with Kurt Russell. Yeah, okay, so we're on the uh, same boat. Kurt Russell is As is writer and cool dude at the yeah. center of it, and kind of the creative, like, motivator for it to happen, I was kind of happy with, too. Because, like, it sounded yeah. like Carpenter kind of was in a spot where it's like, this is going to be too campy and weird, I, I don't know. But, yeah. like, Kurt was like, I want to play that character again, we have to figure this out. So, like... Yeah get them in the writer's room to make it kind of thing. So I appreciate that. I, I, I think some of that enthusiasm as cool on the surface as snake has to be, I still feel like it's there, you know? Oh, for sure. Like so. he, this movie, I just don't know if snake Pluskin would work not outside of, uh, Kurt Russell mm-hmm. because there is something like that's inde- indelibly cool about him, but also like uh, approachable. Like, cause he also knows that he's like, I, I like that there bit. were jokes about his height in this movie. Yeah, that's like, what it was I mean. just like, oh, you're Snake Plissken? All right. I thought uh, you'd be taller. Yeah, like it's <laughs> like that's what I mean. Like there's something about like like there's a little bit more of an ego to the other big action stars of his of that era, like Stallone, Schwarzenegger, Seagal all had like big egos. Like they couldn't oh, be the sure. butt, they couldn't be the butt of the joke, right? Like they couldn't be the butt of the joke. Where Kurt Russell, like, I think always had a good sense of humor about himself. And he was happy to be the butt of the joke. So yeah, even like I thought he'd be taller. Like nobody, nobody in movies are supposed to comment on leading actors' heights because the movie is literally trying to trick you into like thinking hide that, that. It's like that no, Tom Vin Cruise is huge. Is the yeah. same height as Nicole Kidman, and it's like mm-hmm. yeah, when he stands in an apple box, he's the same height. That's for sure. So like that's what they, sure. they they go through all these lengths to like hide these things. And Kurt Russell's just like, no, just get some a bunch of people to say it. Like, got a bunch of people to say, you're shorter than I thought. So, yeah, it's great. He's He is having a good time, and I think that is hard to do this movie without Kurt Russell having as good of a time as he is. Mm-hmm. But I was, no, I was – I... my MVP was Kurt Russell, but my MVP was like, this is easily top three collaborations of film ever, like collaborators – in my mind, of any anywhere, okay, of like like I don't know of ongoing of ongoing collaborators that have done a bunch of movies together. Like the only other one would be like I don't know who would win between Scorsese and De Niro and Scorsese and DiCaprio, mm-hmm. but that's one of them. And what is the other one? I mean, like Michael John Warbottom and, and Steve Coogan, obviously. Uh, John Ford, most. John Ford, and John Wayne would be the other one for me. So 
Kurosawa and Mufune. Yeah. You know? Kurosawa and Mufune is good. I just, those ones are more important to me. Like that, the Kurosawa ones are the adult appreciation. I grew mm-hmm. up with John Ford, not Kurosawa. So. Okay. Anyways, I the, the like, original. <laughs> that's what I mean. Like I was like I was like yeah, actually I grew up with the original. Yes. So, mm-hmm. Well, um, he's just older. He got to do that. Yeah. If I said if I said Sergio and Clint, then you'd be like, oh, like the rehash, like that. Oh, the, the yeah, yeah, Cribbin from Japan. Yeah. So this what I mean like what is like what is your top? Oh, this hey, we got another question. I have a question. What? Oh, I guess so. I I did. I wasn't joking when I said Michael Winterbottom and Steve Coogan. I enjoy their collaborations. I know. But, okay, can yeah. we talk? Uh, this is this is a, this is a good segue. Uh, so yeah, we can talk some decent collaborations. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think people out there know like how big of a fan you are of Steve Coogan. You are like a really big Steve Coogan fan. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm assuming most people are. I mean, I don't. I don't Alan think most Partridge, people. I think- I think they're like there's probably a good demographic of people that are like oh yeah Steve Coogan, and they probably insert name here right like he they'll know him as something, but mm-hmm. I don't I think there's a lot of people who have no idea who Stephen Coogan is. I think you're right. Uh, I don't know what happened exactly. I think it was the trip with him and Rob Brydon. Mm-hmm. Like they kind of did this kind that of was, meta. That was the movie because that was the catalyst. Yeah, yeah and, and it was and the show version. Yeah, you and I were not allowed to see that together. Because you were so upset, like that, I wouldn't like it as much. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't allowed to see it with you, and then eventually I had to. I thought I you. thought we saw the film version together. That's when we eventually I had to convince you that no, like I'll, I'm sure I'll like it, and I did. I think it was Stan and Ollie. Eventually, was like we can't go see that together because you're not going to like it. And I loved Stan and Ollie. Oh, okay. Yeah, I did go sneak off to see that by myself. Yeah. Um, Philomena, you know, which he helped write. Again, I, I um, love Philomena, and I, I like that movie quite a bit. I didn't think you uh, would like it. Tropic because, Thunder, you know. Like it's just, yeah, no. he has a funny death in that movie. He's got a really funny he death does, in that movie. Yeah. I uh, think that was just around the time I was kind of looking for stuff with him. He, uh, for audience's sake, he's the Hamlet 2 guy, and uh, the Ponzi yeah, scheme dude and the other guys. He was in the other guys briefly. Yeah, not enough. Like they probably should have given him a good yeah. every minute of Mark Wahlberg's <laughs> screen some, time. He has some pretty good gags in that movie, though. Where like every time they go see him, they get like there's like a scene or three times in a row they try to go see him, and they get like really great water with cucumber in it, and then they get sidetracked by like a gift that they give him that like, he gives them. Like, oh, you gotta go away. see, you gotta go see Lion King in, in the Broadway, and they get and then they cut to them being in Broadway seeing Lion King, and then they're like, damn it, we we're supposed to talk to him, like we we're supposed to interrogate him, and they go back the next day. And, he distracts them again and they do it three times and it's a, it's a good gig. I really like that. Okay. Gig. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's just kind of like the way he does awkward British comedy resonates more with me than Ricky Gervais at this oh, point. Sure. Okay. I think I find Ricky Gervais actually grating now and I don't enjoy him. Sure. Uh, Steve, Steve is there to pick up the pieces for that and still make me appreciate British comedy. I think there's so. like a, a error of like self-importance that Ricky Gervais has about himself. Like yeah. when he's on the Golden Globes hosting and he's making fun of all the celebrities, I'm like, you are also a celebrity, sir. You're probably richer than half these people. Like you <laughs> are go yeah. on to talk shows and talk about yourself on talk shows. Like that is that is a level of arrogance that celebrities have. You do the same thing. You're not going to talk shows and talking about somebody else or talking about something mm-hmm. else. You're going to talk about your projects just as much as everybody else. Anyways. That's what gets me about Ricky Gervais. It's like he has his elevation. Like I'm different, different from you guys, 
And I'm like, you're not mm-hmm. though. You are you're one of them. Like And I feel like like Coogan is clever enough to like not have wandered that way and then sort of poke fun at the possibility of him being this total asshole in in the trip. Like he kind of like plays up like being really insecure about his acting and all this stuff in that. So I thought it was just a really funny like meta commentary on himself. That's what I mean. Like those movies I understand are like they make caricatures of themselves, but there is a sense of like base in some por- portion of reality, just not quite that severe. Yeah. But, but the way they, that he blurs the line just makes me enjoy them a lot. Cause it's just like, sure. does he really think Richard Gere, like Gear is like an incredible genius or not? Cause there's like a cuts, there's a scene in the TV show version yeah. that I don't think made the movie. Where he's just like, oh, no, no, Richard Gere is, like, brilliant. And he's talking to Robert Bryden about all this stuff. It's like, and does he really think this? Or is this, like, I mean, a bit? Sometimes, like, I know when you watch those movies. So, I, I went and saw that movie with you. I never saw the show. But I went and saw the movie with you. And I was way more endeared to Rob Brydon's character. Yeah. Because, like, yeah. for me, it was like, oh, the, when somebody's that arrogant, it gets to me. And when somebody chases, pot, like, fame for not the art reasons. Whereas, like, Brydon's mm-hmm. just really simple and just wants to make people laugh. Like, he's not really, like, a deep thinker in the movie, and I kind of, like, I'm endeared to him because he's, like, right. he knows exactly what he has, he feels fortunate to have what he has, and he just does that. I think they intentionally marketed that with kind of, like, the drama and comedy masks. Like, Rob Brydon is the laughing yeah. mask, and, like, Steve Coogan's the brooding, angry mask or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Like, he's the salt, and Rob Brydon's the pineapple, you know? Yeah. Uh, no, no, so and I, I totally, I totally, but I, and I know that's caricatures because they are good friends, and they're both really funny people. Because I've mm-hmm. seen Steve Coogan be uh, super funny, over-the-top, car- like, cartoonish. But Right, right. Uh... But man, like honestly, like I still regularly on probably a monthly basis, I'll still say my cocaine, like my cocaine, but like in that way that they do the movie. Oh, to yeah, my cocaine impersonation. My cocaine, and all you have to do is say my cocaine. But if you say it with like that three enough emphasis, thing, yeah, and you yeah. like you you sound like no matter who you are, you'll sound like Michael Caine if you say my cocaine. You sound like Michael Caine. <laughs> so, and I learned that from that movie because there's this great scene where they just where they try trade to... Michael Caine's essentially. <laughs> Do they? Did the Al Pacino's make the movie also? I don't think so. Not to the same level. Okay. Because like they, okay. I think they chose to focus just something because there's so much Michael Caine where like they talk about like old Michael Caine <laughs> and young Michael Caine and and how like no now he kind of blew talks the bunny doors uh, off or with this like they're saying. airiness and now he's always speaking with it air coming out of his mouth like. It's genius. It's, but it's not for yeah. everybody. You saw the sequels, right? The trip sequels. No, no. I I don't know if I've been saving them or I've been wanting to watch the show versions because I know I like the preferred that with the first one. Yeah. So I've kind of I haven't I haven't explored them yet. It like goes, Italy, it's Italy and Greece, right? Are the two? Yeah, I think those or are Spain. The, the new no, ones. No, one of them is Spain. Spain, Spain. You're yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, I know that Italy or Greece, whatever the second one is, has a show. I don't think I don't know if the third one does though. Okay. Like Italy the is the second one. Yeah. Italy's the second one. Okay. But yeah, I, I'm still game to pursue them. I've also seen Saxondale. Like, yeah, I just find him like self-aware enough to that. I found him like disarming in a weird way. I okay. just kind of enjoyed how he approaches things. Uh, something and then, I really yeah, appreciated about uh, Stan and Ollie is just how they played it so straight. Like, it's actually just a drama about two friends that 
mm-hmm. got wildly successful, but then overshone by somebody else, and they had a bit of a rift between them. And I was like, this is just well acted comedy drama type of thing. Like it's, I really liked it. Like I, I was moved by it type of thing. Is that Winterbottom? Yeah. As well? No, that wasn't him. No, no that wasn't. I'd, but Winterbottom was like twenty four hour party people. Yes. Uh, what was it there there was about like this kind of like pornography king over in the uk or whatever i forget what that movie was called it was not that great uh but what is what is his big character the one that he keeps returning to alan partridge alan partridge is the the big hit character in the uk there's shows and things but and movies it's it's a bbc show i think so there's probably actually like 30 episodes over like 25 years well and a movie they released the film for it i've seen the yeah i have the i have the movie with cole meany as the angry villain it's kind of like the best way to equate them for like an american north american audience like what will ferrell did with like ron burgundy Steve Coogan did first with Alan Partridge. Like it was like a, a television. He found like a, and he yeah. found a way to like really idolize like a British television host and like did that. Yeah. To tea and like a really the vain. Well, he revisited the character guy. so much with like very similar to how Will Ferrell, like I would say like Ron Burgundy is in a way kind of Will Ferrell's Alan Partridge. Cause he's, he's not just done two movies. He's done lots of like little bits with the character throughout the years. Right. So, Okay. I mean, I've, yeah, I've seen, like, videos of, like, Alan Partridge commenting a soccer game and just going over the top of it yeah. and stuff. Like, it's, yeah, it's a running thing over there. There was this, there was uh, this era where Will, Will Ferrell was, uh, <laughs> he, Ron Burgundy was trying to start stand-up. And mm-hmm. one night of, uh, one night of late night TV, he started on all four, all five of the late night hosts, like, shows. He was... Like Ron Burgundy on every single late night show, like on Letterman and Leno. No, it, it was the it was the newer era. It was Fallon, uh, Colbert, Corden, uh, Myers, and Kim. okay, he did all of them, and he did a stand up like comedy bit for every one of them as Ron Burgundy, and it was not funny, but it was funny because it wasn't funny. So, sure, <laughs> okay, so yeah, yeah. Anyways, uh, okay, collaborators. That was the original question, but we ended up talking about Michael Winterbottom and Steve Coogan. <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. that's your personal one. And that's what I mean. Like, but nobody in the world, like I say Carpenter and, and Russell, because I enjoy those movies, but nobody in the world saying that's the greatest thing. Nobody in the world saying Winterbottom and Coogan create great, the greatest collaborators of all time. I'm saying like, what do you think are yeah. like the greatest collaborators? Like then like people were saying like, there's like 10 out of 10. It's all the, all David the lean and, and Alec Guinness, man. That's like, <laughs> other than bridge of the, it's a bridge of river quiet is David lean. That's not even David lean. Yes, it is. It is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What, what else? He's in that. He's in Lawrence. He's in uh, Great Expectations. Oliver Twist. Like they go before that era too. Gotcha. Um. But no, I I don't know if that's my answer. That's just an answer. That is an answer. Um, I honestly think like Kurosawa Mifune is a big one. It sucks that they kind of started fighting in the '60s and didn't work together ever again. Yeah. What was the uh, last? Was he Redbeard? I haven't seen it, but it's about a doctor in Japan and tensions were high during the creation of that, apparently, for some reason. So I'm curious about it. But yeah, I don't, in, I don't feel like Scorsese and right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah okay, he's so one I, the, I'm just confirming that in my brain because he's he's the he's to the me. Main... He's like the Sanjiro Yojimbo kind yeah, of stuff. That's what like I mean. For me, is the Yojimbo. So I was wondering yeah. if that he, that guy is in Seven Seven Samurai. He's one of the Samurai. Seven, seven, yes. yes okay. Yeah. I, he's the drunk one. But yeah, yeah. They didn't reconcile, right? No, I don't think so. That's yeah, true. never work together again. 
I don't. I guess that didn't happen with either of these other duos we're talking about, like Scorsese and De Niro, because they finally worked together again. Just with well, too much I mean, CG. there was a long time <laughs> where they didn't work with each other that people wondered. Like they always had the imagination yeah. of like. Wait, why is De Niro's over here making really bad movies and Scorsese keep making good movies? Why did they stop working with each other? Like, like did something go weird on Casino that I never talked about? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But then, but I mean, I mean, to be fair, it's it more just might be like that he found his new muse just a few years after Casino. So, yeah, then him and he has other than no, I guess Silence would be the first like Leo movie that like first Scorsese film that didn't have Leo in it would be Silence. Like oh, like post that because co- it's like Gangs in New York, Aviator. No, uh, Hugh is he in Hugo at all? Oh, okay, so yeah, Hugo would be first then. But that's still like yeah. that's a huge run of Gangs in New York, Aviator, Departed, and then Shutter Island, mm-hmm. and then it was Hugo, right? And then Hugo, yeah. Okay, so, so yeah, Hugo would be the gap first there. Well, then yeah, and then I guess Wolf of Wall Street, and then Silence. I guess it's. And I was trying to think if there was a third Daniel Day Lewis collaboration because there's two. But I don't know if they work together again. No, yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I just know the too. story of him like flying out to Italy and be like, Daniel, you're terrible at making shoes. Stop it. Come back and make movies. Stop being an idiot. Something like that, but that's way more gracious right? and that, fun. That's how he got Bill, Bill a Butcher? Got him in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That was uh, but retirement. nothing like I just did. I'm sure he was very flattering <laughs> and nice and yeah. Do you think there's a part I'm, of like, I just find Daniel Day Lewis sort of frustrating as oh, a person. Oh no, I totally understand. Do you think there's a part of Daniel Day Lewis that like the reason why he's retiring is that it's his method of acting is so exhausting for him? Maybe, or it's just like you know, how am I supposed to top any any of I don't that? Think, no, but like, I mean, I like, it three. shouldn't be it shouldn't be about topping. It should because it's like why do you have to top anything? Like to be fair, I'm actually interested too if like if also he needed to retire because method acting is so like not okay anymore. Because it makes mm-hmm. such like hostile. Oh sure, like, like all the terrible places. stories about like Dustin Hoffman slapping people and stuff, and you're just oh, like, you every, can't do that. Every single method person has a terrible story connected to them. Like yeah, like Daniel Day Lewis has terrible stories because people hated working with him on Gangs in New York because he was just build a butcher all the time, like mm-hmm. being a jackass on set all the time. It's like that just wouldn't fly in the world anymore. So or what what Carrie did on Andy Kaufman, like Man on the Moon. Oh yeah, like just exhausting people. Yeah. And it's just like Andy wasn't even like that. Like I don't <laughs> even know why you're doing that. Like that's what that's what his public persona was like on camera. But it that wasn't. was when he was doing bits to prank the public. But he yeah. wasn't like that every day. <laughs> he that's what I mean. Like so, I just wonder. Yeah. Like I wonder if it's either he he can't do the way he wants because I I wonder like he finished off doing like Phantom Thread, which was like. A quiet like and even before Phantom Man, it was like Lincoln it was like he found ways of method acting like nice people so he was like okay I yeah could, I could be okay on sets but like there will be blood terrible time making like people talk about how terrible he was on set like he was just an asshole mm. the entire time so I'm just like do you think he just retired because he's like well I can't do any mean roles anymore and I have to do nice roles I'm done I don't want to do this anymore or I don't want to become like he went and learned how to make real dresses like he studied <laughs> dressmaking for a year before he went and made phantom uh, thread and i'm just like that sounds like useless useless yeah who cares how it's- much of that is going to show up on film yeah that's 
you sort of admire the dedication, but then it's like I almost more so appreciate someone who switches it off and on. Like who like we were saying with like Leslie Nielsen, who's like joking around, hitting fart machine buttons, and then immediately getting into character, and That's like I mean. everyone's like, somebody "What are you can, doing?" Like, somebody who can turn it on and off like a fountain. Like I think that takes greater skill to be able to like go home at the end of the day and be yourself again, and mm-hmm. then come back and be just as good as you were the day before. Like. You just, yeah, you just hear about, like, the method acting, even De Niro, and it was just like, guys, get over yourself. Like, Cape Fear, which sounds like a terrible movie to hang on. When, when I was in the hospital, I, like, turned on, like, Raging Bull right at the scene where he's, like, punching the wall and everything. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, like, he almost, he, like, was unhealthily fat for yeah, that part, you exactly. know? It's just like, you don't have to do that. We can, like, fake it. That's movie magic. Yeah. But it's like, no, no, no. Yeah. Maybe Christian Bale's doing that nowadays. Like he's going too far. Well, he did. He got in trouble too, right? With that Terminator. Yeah. You do not need to be at 11 for Terminator Salvation. It's not (laughs) worth it. Yeah. It's like, come on, buddy. Like it's, I understand he's in your light, but you just like go to Big G because you're making a Big G movie and you say, hey, Mm -hmm. Big G, I know where I am (laughs) and I'm, I care about what I'm doing. I know I'm making a Terminator film, but the DOP keeps blocking my light. Can we stop that? Because. This is just it's a movie, me. but it distracts me. So, yeah. yeah, I know. I'm just like, I don't think, I think even Christian Bale, though, he's picking, like, you look at the roles he's picking, and it's like works for him now. Cause like, like he's mellowing out a bit. Or well, he, I come. heard, I heard stuff on the set of Vice, like, he was trying to get into Dick Cheney's head and stuff like that. But, like, okay. I guess he was just more secretive and he kept away from the cast, and, like, that was how he got, he got into his head. So, I'm like, these guys, like, that choose to do method, they can't choose assholes anymore because, they're they're screwed like then they're gonna just have mm. all these stories about no like, social media has ruined that you're gonna see yeah. the tantrums and yeah, yeah. as soon as something happen. bad happens like like there's like that simultaneous thing on the set of mission impossible 7 where tom cruise was like oh he had a giant yeah. meltdown. But that was about that was about safety stuff that's right? what i mean like but but that that was even like picked up in the press and like ran with and there's both people inside of the camps being like you shouldn't be treating people this way and other people being like COVID's serious. Like he's trying to take it seriously. He's trying to keep people working and, and jobs. If if you shut down, people go home without pay. Blah blah blah. So yeah, but even yeah, that it's like a like, righteous tirade versus self righteous. And yeah. where is it? And exactly. yeah, yeah. So, anyways, yeah. Oh well, we didn't really talk about famous duos. We just end up talking about people. I thought you were basically just asking me Steve Coogan, so I wanted to be really through on that. But no, I guess we'll fair. save it for the future. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I mean, I, for just to say on John Carpenter and. And Kurt Russell, I've seen all their collaborations. I even saw that three-hour Elvis film. There's their beginning of their collaborations, mm-hmm. and like, it's there's good material there. Like, it's like that that type of like, uh, kitschy pulp star that like Kurt Russell can be on screen perfectly matches really well with like what John Carpenter's putting out there, right? Like, mm-hmm. you even think of like when I think of Prince of Darkness, that main character mustache guy. If that was Kurt Russell, I think that movie would have been another level of fun. Oh, yeah. Or like what we were saying with Desolation Williams and, and yeah. like even They Live, we had a private conversation about Rod- Roddy Piper. Well, no, I think it was like, I think John Carpenter asked Kurt Russell to do it. And Kurt Russell but he was getting no. self-conscious or something yeah. about repeating himself or something. And so they yeah. gave it to Roddy Piper and I was like, oh man, like I like Roddy this Piper. This movie is good. It's good, but it could have been better. Yeah, like I like <laughs> yeah. Roddy Piper and to be fair, this was actually a pretty mellow Roddy Piper because 
he's crazier in wrestling than he is on this movie. But mm-hmm. man, if I imagine that fight scene with him and David Kurt Russell and David Keith, like that would have been. I don't think they would have come up with that fight scene. They wouldn't have, I think so. that magic would not have been in that. I think movie. that was like that it would was, be different magic. That would be Roddy yeah. Piper like wrestling magic. Like that was him being like, "Oh yeah, we're gonna stage that like we're fighting." A like this is where bro. my creative juices yeah. flow is exactly. concepting out fights. So. But I just like I just it's hard for Kurt Russell to not to think of him in a John Carpenter movie and it not be immediately better in some way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's all. That's all. Even like okay. James, La- last... James Woods, sorry, in Vampires. Yeah. I like James Woods. I really do. But in Vampires, he seems like an odd fit for that movie. Anyways, go ahead. Last thing. Last splice off of this this web. Do you want Kurt Russell in any way to be involved in the Halloween stuff that's going on right now? Not at all. Okay. No. Like, like just as like a sort of re-teaming. Because it's the only creative thing John Carpenter's doing right now in that no, realm. But I think, I, think, I think with John Carpenter, the stuff I'm talking about with Kurt Russell... Like, other than the thing kind of exists in a world of camp. Mm-hmm. And, like, like John Carpenter went and made one of the best, like, horror films of all time in that. And then also made the, the thing as a horror film. But for the most part, he's kind of a camp director. Yeah. And so that's, like, the marriage that I really love of the, the two of them. Now, I love McCready and I love the thing. So I can't say that doesn't work. I just don't think Kurt Russell in a slasher film, like, that's not that's not appealing to my brain. Have like have they not like wandered into meta commentary comedy at all in those? In the They're new pretty Halloween serious. Movies? I haven't seen the second one. Like, is it? Oh no, it's, dire? it's still yeah. It's still in this world where people being killed by somebody is like a sad thing. Okay, so like an Ash Williams equivalent entering the proceedings would not work at all. <laughs> <laughs> like Bruce Campbell would be a big tonal shift of this film. Yes, if he showed up and. Okay. Like it's not it's not quite at like, like the Friday the Thirteenth level sequels yet. Like where it's like yeah, like okay. the kills are hard and vicious and gory, but they're with people that are generally been kind of rounded out or we spent some time with, so we we're affable towards them. Right, right. And that's something I appreciated about 2018's Halloween was like that couple, the drug, the druggy couple that are like, oh, they're gonna have premarital sex and they're doing drugs, they're gonna get killed. I liked her because she was nice to the kids she was babysitting and was joking around with them all. And I was like, oh, this is sad that she's dead now. Like that was the, mm-hmm. the new level of slasher that I like that these movies are going in. So yeah, Kurt Russell doesn't really fit in my brain in a slasher film. Like that's, that seems like a jarring, like I feel like Jason meeting Kurt Russell, like Snake Pluskins is like two unstoppable forces, like coming, colliding sounds like that's impossible. Like what do you, how do you do that? Okay. And like, yeah, they're from pretty different, vibes i guess yeah so sure so okay anyways all right um okay that's all for this week uh if you want to email us uh oh what was the thing oh yeah like i i basically asserted leslie nielsen was better than daniel day lewis so if you have <laughs> issue with that uh email ryan okavio.ca or nathan okavio.ca uh you can also tweet at okavio podcast i do check that more often uh, next week, we're looking at Land of the Lost uh, from 2009. It was directed by Brad Silberling and written by Chris Henchy and Dennis McNicholas. Yes. Uh, but okay. Until then, I'm Nathan. And I'm Ryan. And you know what they say. Uh, if you want to live, don't agree to Pistols at Dawn. <laughs>